0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 118 of Through the Years, the podcast Reviews Ring of Honor, show by show, from the beginning. My name is Trevor Dane, joined as always by the co-host, Matt Feuerstein, and joined, unfortunately, we could not avoid him forever, the man who has done more guest shots on this show than anyone else by far. You might know him from his... Wrestling podcast game show, the five star match game, home to many a staggering defeat for me and, uh, and great performances from Matt and our friend Joe, Justin Shapiro, like confusing the J people. And you might know him from Joe versus the world, one of the original wrestling podcasts. In fact, I'll point out before, first off, I'll just say it's Joe Gagney, whoopty doo. Um, but I also want to point out Joe and Matt. You guys have actually covered this show on Joe versus the World 17 years ago. I went back and listened to it, and I'll just say this: Matt sounds younger. Joe sounds exactly the same. Uh, Joe, explain. Uh,
1: I I don't know, but yeah, when I was trying to look up, did I do any kind of you know show report for this? And I'm like, oh no, I did a whole podcast dedicated to this. And I went back and listened, and it was very odd. Like, I don't know if Matt, you went back and listened, but my past self was telling me things I had completely forgotten, and you know, like details that had completely slipped my mind. It was like a, a message in a bottle from the past. In a way, I, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to that.
2: I, I skimmed it a little bit, um, but that wasn't the part that I found odd. Like it was like it was just like a du- a different version of myself. I mean, I, I was in my very early twenties and uh, definitely less confident on. recording my voice on a microphone. I think I was... And actually, I don't even think it was a microphone. I think it was, like, just talking into an old-school cell phone. And so the audio (laughs) quality was really bad. Like, I I think that was how I recorded it. And... And this is getting personal, but I think if I recall correctly, Joe, you probably don't remember this, but I think I pro, I think I was emailing you that day being like, I'm not sure if I could do the show because I have a family emergency and I'm not going to get wow. into what that family emergency was, but it was cleared up in time for us to do the show. And uh, I think it was a Monday night after I got back from work. So I, I started like remembering all these weird details about my life. So yeah, don't do podcasts, everybody, because then it bring, it stirs up all sorts of insane memories that you would have completely forgotten.
0: This is going to be, uh, Matt, your, your Madeline Cookie, your Proust moment where you relive your entire life from re-listening to an episode of Joe versus the World. I'll also say, Matt, I can't relate to you about the idea of being an uncomfortable and um, embarrassing. Well, you weren't even embarrassing at all, but I, I mean, I'll just say I've never sound uncomfortable years and years ago on a Joe Gagney podcast. That's <laughs> never happened. Uh, you, you can't find evidence of it. Not, not, nothing, not a shred of it. But, um, yeah, if, if, if anyone who's ever listened to the show, you've probably thought it's too long and I wish Trevor Dame wasn't on it. Well, if you want to listen to a review of this show without those two qualifiers, Jovers the World. Search for it. 17 years old, you can hear a young Matt Forrestine, a young Joe Gagne review this show and the next show we'll be covering the next night in fact you two when i was looking at uh, doing review for this show you are both thanked in the observer for that week so you clearly both like good little wrestling nerds sent in reports to today that week um but yeah so one bit of housekeeping before we get to the show is um this is going to be our last episode on the pro wrestling only podcast network there's no drama behind it it's uh we woke up one day and, well, probably over a course of a lot of days and realized we're like one of the only shows on that network anymore. Well, it's also, and, it's um, also that
2: we, we have to ask, uh, you know, uh, someone, Stephen Graham, who's been a great help to us and Chad Campbell for years before that to like help us upload it and do all this extra work that, you know, we don't want to, you know, put that on anybody anymore. Like f- f- considering probably, our listenership has mostly shifted over to this feed and yes, Trevor to YouTube. So, um, you know, we, but I know I'll let you take the lead, but I have more to say about the pro wrestling only network before you, uh, finish. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just
0: want to say that, uh, It was a great honor to be asked to be on the Pro Wrestling Only Network all those years ago. If you've listened to the show through the entire history, you'll know, you know, how big a fans we were of shows on it. And if, you know, Chad Campbell asking us to be on when we were big fans of his show, where the big boys play and so many other great shows, including Stephen Graham shows and, and so many people, I will still say go back whenever, if you want to listen to like great classic, like historical wrestling podcasts about older stuff, I'd still one of the best places. And there's so much stuff in the archives. You'll have to hunt for it, but so much good stuff. It was honored to be on, but I just, yeah, I want to make sure everyone knows this is going to be the last episode. We're going to ask to be put on that feed because we feel like most people have migrated, but if you are someone that is still listening, just through that, you're going to have to either go to, as Matt said, on YouTube or our own feed, which you can easily find. if You just search the name of the show on any um, podcast app, whatever search site you like, but yeah, thank everybody for for the run. It's been great. Matt, is there anything else you wanted to say?
2: Yeah, I mean, there are so many people who were involved in making that network, you know, a really great place to find wrestling podcasts and to host wrestling podcasts over the past like of uh, six or seven years. So I, I don't want to start naming names just because I am sure I'll forget important people. But I, it was, you know, it really was so exciting to be asked to be on that because it was a podcast network that I already listened to. Lots of great shows, shows that inspired this podcast in the first place. Um, so just being on it was, I think, you know, kind of elevated our show in immensely and helped us out a ton. But you know, every era comes to an end at some point, and um, yeah, we just want to thank everybody involved who helped us, everybody who listened on that podcast network, you know, everybody who has still listening to us on that network, um, and everybody involved in it. Uh, it was, you know, it was a uh, an honor uh, pun intended
0: <laughs> and finally, before we start the show i uh, I, I ta- told the guys before the show I have a prop because I remember this was the start of the uh the episode where you and Matt of Joe vs. the world where you covered this show, or the other episode you recorded a few months later that I mistakenly listened to for a few minutes. That's before I realized it was the wrong episode. But either way, Joe found a beer in his fridge. He had just had to show off how cool he was. He was like, I'm going to crack this live on the show. Well, guys, I know how to party. I've got a Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar here. So I'm going to – I've never drank a carbonated beverage while doing the podcast before. So we are in a bold, dangerous territory here. I'm going to have to manage that. But Are we, uh,
2: are we stealing um, the Elite Beach shtick? Is this the through the years pop of the week? I think we are.
1: I think we are. I think
0: think this is a crazy time, Matt, because uh, normally I drink water. So this is.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna say. I love listening to the Elite Beat, but I always thought I'd be a terrible guest on that show because I pretty much only drink tap water. I have nothing to pop.
0: God, I, I am so jealous of someone that lives in an area where. You can actually just drink the tap water and enjoy it.
2: People uh, say say that New York City has some of the best in the country. I only know my experience that I drink it, and hopefully it's not going to ruin my life.
0: (laughs) Well, on to something that will ruin your life, the the current episode of Through the Years. Um, Lots of news happened in the world world of ring of honor between the last show and this show we've had pretty thin news sections this one's pretty chunky and there's some interesting stuff here that i forgot about and okay so the biggest story that i would say that happened between the last ring of honor show and this one would be a kurt angle got fired by the wwe this was the time you know in 2006 when he got fired where you know he was physically breaking down taking some pills that you probably shouldn't take so many of wwe got scared of his health and just Let him go and he became – well, I'll go to The Observer and you'll find out what the Ring of Honor connection is here in a second. Dave Meltzer wrote in The Observer, with his body breaking down and painkiller issues now public after being fired on August 25th by World Wrestling Entertainment, Kurt Angle finds himself in a unique situation. He is now the single most in-demand individual perhaps in the history of the industry he now has the ability to, at least on a short-term basis, make more money than he ever has before, and perhaps in the process, destroy his body even further. A few will publicly say so. Virtually every major promotion from Ring of Honor to several groups in Japan to UFC and numerous other MMA groups and everyone in between have expressed interest from curiosity to extreme interest in using Angle as soon as he heals up from his current batch of injuries. Now, of course, Angle would pick in the coming weeks TNA and we'll go to an observer now from a few weeks later when after he had signed with TNA Dave would write TNA has also decided against booking Angle for any independent dates which shows a concern for not wanting to have him work more than a few dates per month originally word was getting out that Angle would be available for outside bookings through TNA for $5000 per shot Ring of Honor in particular was going to make a play for multiple dates on him at that price as well as attempt to get a DVD interview deal so you think, wow, that's pretty big. And then I, at the same time, the Pro Wrestling Torch reported this. ROH management is claiming they have had no talks with Kurt Angle about coming into Ring of Honor. So depends on who you believe there. Uh, obviously, Dave's is a lot more specific. But I just was thinking – so first off, I went back and I looked. Um, that probably would have been the priciest talent deal ROH had offered at that time because I looked back. Um, Dave had said that uh, Terry Funk cost – $2,500 when he came in for glory by honor two in 2003, uh, Kenta Kobashi, Dave claimed was $9,000 for two shows. So $5,000 a shot. Apparently ROH was interested in doing multiple dates at that price. I was just thinking like, what would they have done? Because I have to imagine that TNA would not have wanted them to do Samoa Joe because they had just, you know, they were about to do that as their big program right off the bat angle. um, you probably couldn't have done Brian Danielson because you wouldn't have want him to lose.
2: All right, all right. I'm going ch- to stop you right there. Do you really <laughs> think they would have not done Brian Danielson versus Kurt Angle just because they wouldn't want to job Brian Danielson? I, I can't.
0: I, I can't buy well, that. Well, he was champ. They, yeah. didn't, they, didn't, they didn't do it with Christian. They did it that
2: weird C- tag C- match. Kurt, Angle is, a, Kurt Angle is a whole different thing than Christian was at that time. How dare you, sir? I know. I mean, Christian – no, I mean it's different now. I'm, it, Kurt Angle was much bigger star than Christian <laughs> in 2006. I know, I know. No, I, th- th- it would have been Brian Danielson and it would have been fine if Danielson did the job. That's, yeah, my, t- uh, that That's would- my stance. I'm sticking to it.
0: Okay, so if, or if we're going by multiple shots, who would have you have picked then, assuming that Joe's off and you can do one with Danielson, who would have been your second match? Like, if you could pick anyone on the roster at this point.
2: Well, usually they would do a singles and a tag, right? Yeah. Um, that was usually the the move when they brought in, like, a huge name, like a Liger or a Kobashi. So, you know, maybe Danielson one night, and then maybe, you know, a Kurt Angle and Nigel against Danielson and someone, maybe Danielson and Joe, maybe even Danielson, and Homicide since... They, uh, you know, like that's the thing they've done for some of those um, big dream tag matches where they have like, you know, enemies uh, or rivals team up against the big star. Sometimes that happens. You know, they could have even done Angle versus Nigel at that point, and Nigel yeah. definitely could have done a job for Kurt. Um, so, I, but honestly, the, my takeaway from all this is just how scummy the wrestling business is. Like, Angle was fired by WWE because as wade keller had put it in a in a vague news report a little bit before angle was let go that he was on quote death watch at the time like he was in really bad shape he's even admitted it since so it's pretty crazy just how i mean you know obviously no one is surprised to hear this it's still like this but how craven the uh the wrestling business is and was and i guess maybe always will be yeah it's
0: yeah yeah like I get that's a great point to bring up because yeah for people that like like n- now obviously Kurt Angle is okay presumably although he had a lot of surgeries and like Matt just said is very on the record about some really long-lasting deep struggles with uh painkiller addiction and things but at this time yeah like the thought was WD was re- was firing Kurt Angle just because they thought they were going to have like a Brian Pillman type situation like this guy could just die one day on our watch and if he's not going to get help we we're not going to let this happen you know under our auspices and yeah everybody according to the observer story basically was lining up to sign him and they're, they're lucky, TNA, I will say that it turned out as well as it did because there is a plenty of plausible alternate realities where that could have gone way worse, but. No, it's nice to it, see, it's
2: nice to see Kurt, like when you see him talk now, like he seems lucid and happy. And if you like heard him. Back in, like, the 2006 era, he was like a shell mentally of himself, at least the way he came across on TV. Like, just lost a lot of that spark and that gleam behind his eye that kind of made him special. And he was still great, obviously, in, in TNA, but there were times where it was just like, this is not the Kurt Angle that, you know, that we all came to love. And it was sad. And, uh, yeah. you know, hopefully he's doing as well as he seems to be. So another
0: news story is there was a big kind of a – lucha show where it was like a crossover where a lot of the tna talent got brought in and dave wrote this which i thought was interesting in the observer he wrote about this show it was kind of a big deal more among the wrestlers than the fans for aj Styles, samoa joe loki and homicide to be there as roh tapes are real popular with younger wrestlers in mexico and i just thought it was it's interesting because a lot of times people see lucha as such a like a separate world completely like less crossover than like other wrestling cultures but it was interesting just to see even back in 2006 you know not nowadays but like 2006 that you know it was already a big deal among the younger wrestlers in mexico to be like hey we know you guys from ring of honor and of course it's another one of those classic tna stories where it's like you know tna always resented that like their their talent got known for Ring of Honor and not TNA. This is another example. The wrestlers are not excited to be like, hey, we watch TNA. It's like, hey, we see you from Ring of Honor tapes, even though this is an impact versus, uh, you know, a TNA versus AAA branded show. So another cute little story there. Then a story I forgot about, again, from The Observer. This is from their No Pro Wrestling NOAH news section. Um, Mitsuhara Masao and Yoshiyuki Nakamura of 01MAX are said to be starting a new overseeing body of pro wrestling called the global pro wrestling and not Alliance apparently partnered after the old NWA. They claim the promotions under the umbrella will be NOAA, Zero 01 max IWA Japan, El Dorado Pro Wrestling, which is a Japanese indie group, Kaintai Dojo, Kintsuki Office, DDT, Big Mouth, Big Mouth Loud, European Wrestling Alliance, Hardly Races World League Wrestling, Ring of Honor, and Pro Wrestling World One. They claimed the top indie guys like Minoru Suzuki and Yoshihiro Takayama would be affiliated. Kaiji Muda was asked to work with them and turn them down. With Masao's ties, the group is said to be having a TV show on NTV, which was a major channel in Japan. Uh, yeah, like I forgot this happened, so I was like, I'm gonna search into this like why don't I remember this? And it's because this went defunct basically within a year. They ran three shows in Japan with this branding. Ring of Honor had no one on those shows except uh defended the RH title on one of them. Um but what was interesting is it was supposed to be like this big like, – like Dave said, like an NWA talent share. There was even talk they were going to start like setting aside money for like um pensions for older retired wrestlers in the group. They were going to like – um coordinate all their shows so they didn't run on the same and it just very quickly fell apart and i found an article someone wrote uh for forgive me for not having uh credit here but they were writing like one of the things in 2007 why they were saying like it looks like this is falling apart is they were like noah isn't sending talent to any of these groups usually except ring of honor <laughs> like ring of honor was the one company of all those long companies that seemed to be getting like the most benefit of this which is it's an interesting thing that what could have been all these kind of things like this Um, another story about the weird, a, uh, Japanese like landscape at this time and how much things have changed. Getting back to the observer. Uh, Dave wrote, the Dragon Gate wrestlers are booked for WrestleMania weekend with Ring of Honor next year. Noah has no problems with working with Dragon Gate, but it's clear Noah has become the favored nation, and there are other political issues that could get involved having to do with Japanese television. Dragon Gate is also negotiating a deal to work with New Japan, which many in Japan think is a terrible idea because their main eventers will be exposed when it comes to size and come across as mid-cutters in the big leagues. Plus, everyone who works with New Japan ends up with migraines for their trouble. What a crazy world it is now where it's like Dragon Gate guys will be exposed by their size when like Shingo now goes there, becomes like a main event or an IWGP heavyweight champion temp for a little spell. And also, it's interesting. To, it is crazy how quickly it changed where, you know, at WrestleMania weekend it was like the huge thing was, oh, Dragon Gate, Dragon Gate, Dra- Dragon Gate, Dragon Gate. And really within a few months, like we're going to see now the Noah connection is only going to get deeper. It's like it's much more a Noah relationship with Dragon Gate here and there, although they will have their own connections coming up soon. But
2: yeah, no, but no, Noah is definitely the more impactful. I mean, Noah gets to have a, one of their wrestlers win the ROH title, obviously. So that right there is uh is exa- is example enough.
0: And then our last story before we get to the show. We touched on this on the last show, but this is where it became official. Meltzer wrote in The Observer Nana Bando, also known as Prince Nana, manager of the heel group The Embassy, quit Ring of Honor. He wanted to do more, including wrestle after he lost so much weight. According to Gabe Sapolsky, Nana didn't see wrestling going much farther for him, and he wanted to concentrate on other things. So, yeah, apparently that was Nana's choice to leave. I looked up KJ, and obviously KJ doesn't always catch everything a guy does. But Nana, like, takes a bunch of months off, and then he basically just works for – he does wrestle, but basically just for two Northeast Indies for, like, a year or two, and then he comes back to Ring of Honor. So, yeah, he he doesn't really have a big in-ring wrestling career, but it's interesting that, you know, I guess he just saw himself kind of in uh, – in a rut maybe or not getting to spread his wings but so it just, is just nice just, just
2: reminds him. us how nice it is to see him getting a, a major television role so many years later it feels just like you know things coming full circle and somebody who really deserves it getting his uh his flowers you know much later on
0: absolutely so that brings us to the show we're going to cover tonight It is glory by honor five night one. It took place September 15th, 2006 at a tent in East Windsor, Connecticut in front of a reported crowd of 500 fans. If you're going a tent, yes, it happened in a tent. We'll get to in a second. Why? But uh, I think, you know, Long time through the years, listeners or really good memory having Ring of Honor fans will know this isn't even the first Ring of Honor show they ran in a tent because the first one they ran in a tent was Generation Next, and that was because um the uh, Philadelphia National Guard Armory got mobilized I believed with a few days notice and they had told them ah uh, we you're not going to be able to use the building even though you booked it and they had to run a tent in like right beside it. This time was different. We'll go to the Observer, And then I'll, I guess I'll ask Joe for some live thoughts. But um in the Observer day. Dave wrote, There was a problem with the building, so they ended up pitching a large tent on the adjacent soccer field. The show actually came very close to being cancelled until a lot of things came together. What happened is the building they've been running never had the correct permits to hold pro wrestling. Nobody knew better, but somehow just days before the show, inspectors came to the building and told them that they weren't zoned for it. That's all been taken care of, and on December 22nd they'll have the right filled, they'll have filed the right paperwork, but by the time they found out, there was no time for this show. The tent wouldn't have been a problem either, except it was pouring rain they packed about 500 people into the tent and then the tent leaked so rain was getting inside and some people had to stand outside because it was an open air tent and were getting rained on as well the tent was so low that it made it impossible to do some regular top rope moves overall the wrestling was said to be excellent but will probably be one of the rare shows that comes off better on dvd than live because of the building problems um uh, the torch actually talked to gabe sapolsky the booker directly Roh Booker, according to the this is the PW Torch. Roh Booker, Gabe Sapolsky tells PW Torch that the September 15th show in East Windsor, Connecticut, was in danger of being canceled, but he was pleased with the end result after having to deal with holding the event under a tent with a driving rain outside. "Quote, I thought it was a great event. The final two matches were both off the charts," he says. "The word going around at the event was that Roh had oversold the show, and the local fire department forced to move outside, which caused a lot of stress for Sapolsky and the ROH office in the days leading up to the event." it was a very, very stressful couple of days for the office as the show literally came hours from being canceled quote unfortunately we were hit with some rain if it was 24 hours earlier or 24 hours later and it was a beautiful night out there would have been no complaints unfortunately we got unlucky with the rain it will definitely give the show a different atmosphere and i can thank i can't thank the fans enough for understanding uh yeah, Joe. Obviously, I've already listened to you back the 17 years younger, Joe. But do you have any memories to this day? Like, how you you've seen been to a lot of wrestling shows. Like, like how unique was it to be in a tent during a downpour of rain for the show? You know, it's on grass. You, you see when wrestlers go to take dives on the show, they come up with grass on their
1: backs. Like, was this pretty one of the more memorable settings you've ever seen a wrestling show in? Oh, absolutely, and. It's worth noting this was, um, it was 2006, so nobody had like iPhones or anything. So I don't know if there was a late notice on maybe ROH website, maybe someone on the message board posted about it. But it me. It was a Friday show, and to beat traffic, I had left pretty early. And I remember, you know, I, I got some dinner, and I arrived at the uh, at the building, and I noticed there's this big yellow tent on the field next to next to the building, and I'm like, oh, that's so, that's so strange. I wonder what that's for. Is that for like? <laughs> a graduation of some kind and then it's like well no it's september <laughs> and we're at like a, a sports place like the who's going to graduate and then i realized there's a ring there and you know that that meme where it's like the you know like it's two paths and one is like the dark and stormy castle and the other is like this you know sunny <laughs> field and it was like that and everyone's headed towards the tent and it's like oh no is this where the show is and turns out it was and i don't I, I don't think they ever gave an official explanation it was Given all the building problems they've had in Massachusetts, it wasn't too hard to figure something went wrong. It's like, well, okay, we're in a tent, so you know, <laughs> and you know it, it's not too bad they couldn't I, I don't know whether they could have held the show outside if the weather held up. It was you know September, I think it was a fairly nice night. that would have been a, a cool atmosphere, but we were packed like sardines inside the tent uh it did I remember where I was sitting. I got like it's basically water torture at one point because I was under a drip and it was just like dripping on my head continuously. And (laughs) you know, some crowds have been torture, but this was almost like literal torture. And I also remember thinking like, are we gonna die? Because like there's all this electrical equipment and it's pouring rain. Like, is there gonna be like, you know, a lightning strike and you know, 500 wrestling fans have been wiped out? You know, because of uh, what a way to go. And, yeah, but
2: you couldn't have died and gone to heaven because watching the Ring Crew Express wrestle Rettitis and Peli Primo, that's already heaven. Yeah.
1: yeah, some some, some might say. So, I mean, it certainly was unique. I don't know if that translates to good because, you know, the the tent had certainly an effect on the show and in some ways, you know, for the worse as it limited movement, but in, in some ways for the better. But we'll get into that.
2: Isn't it it insane that ROH had to have two different shows all of a sudden, like, at a last-minute tent in, like, less than three years? Like, that's very unusual for any wrestling company to ever have to do that. And ROH had it to do it twice in not that long of a span of time. That's really crazy.
0: Yeah, I remember... I feel like just, this one was maybe less warning than the last one. Like Joe just said, like, he did not know till he got to the building.
2: Yeah, this definitely seemed like a worse tent than the first yeah, one.
0: Yeah, yeah, for those who, uh, like Joe mentioned, we'll bring up the instances, I'm sure, as we cover the matches. But this was not the Generation Next tent, which was high. This was like – the tent, I guess, if you're, if you're not watching it – it, you know, the point of it, the, the apex is, is right over the center of the ring, but it very quickly slopes down to a degree where if you stand on any of the corner turnbuckles, your head's already like touching, like you have to push up on the tent. And it, that will limit <laughs> a bunch of the wrestling on the show. And it is crazy that like I, <laughs> they couldn't even get like a great tent. Again, like, yeah, you watch the show, you can see the fans are like, right pe- to the very edge of where the tent line is. Like, they're just trying to get under the tent. And apparently, as Joe said, like, that did not save them. The, the rain was dripping. If you listen to, I think, in particular, the uh, the Nigel McGuinness, Christopher Daniels, one. I don't know if you're just watching your TV, but if, you, if, if you're like me and we're, like, listening on headphones, if you listen very closely, like, you can hear, like, the dull sounds of the rain pounding the, the tent. Like, this was... Not a good time to uh, run a wrestling show in a tent. But um on the Pro Wrestling Torch wrote that uh ROH is counting on glory by Honor 5 weekend to be one of the biggest sets of events in the history of the company. ROH has loaded both cards to standout matches. So, again, they were like, man, this is going to be a great weekend, and we're starting off with Rainy Tent. And then um, a couple other quick notes. The Ring of Honor website, I love this. Um, They wrote this on the Ring of Honor website before the show. This was on September 11th, so I don't know why I ever forgot that they wrote this. Um, Since Jimmy Rave will not be at this weekend's events, toilet paper will be banned except in the bathrooms. If you throw TP this weekend, you will be ejected. So we we are going to a new era of Ring of Honor where the TP is going to get ramped, like going to be taken out. And if you're wondering why wasn't Jimmy Rafe on this big weekend, he was actually on a tour of Dragon Gate. I think this is his first tour of Dragon Gate. So no Jimmy Rave, no toilet paper allowed. I don't know exactly. Maybe they just decide, you know what, if it's not for Jimmy, this is too much of a hassle. And we were getting to the point, I believe, where we were starting to see Matt like occasionally like toilet paper was getting thrown at wrestlers that were not jimmy rave so i could see them thinking now maybe this is starting to get kind of ridiculous i think um carrie silken on other podcasts all these years later has been on the record that he was like not a big fan of the toilet paper so i could see them going well look if jimmy's not going to be here this is a good excuse just to tell them don't break the goddamn toilet paper but maybe this would have been a good time for the toilet paper you could have sopped up some of the moisture here but um Another quick they could
2: throw like more uh, thicker paper towels instead.
0: <laughs> Patch up the leaks with um, So good Charmin, not the cheap stuff. But um, this is also – we should bring up – this DVD is only two hours and 31 minutes long. Uh, this is one of the shorter releases we've ever covered up through the years. Most uh, uh, events are at least three hours, and now since they've gone to the fancier encoded DVDs, oftentimes we'll get to like 3.15 because some, there, of that. There were, there
2: were some that were three and a half. In recent, yeah, and, that we recently.
0: and because of that, um, they actually put on, on the DVD a bonus match each from FIP and Shimmer. I actually even looked up what the matches were. You got Sarah Del Rey versus Rain from Shimmer and the Heartbreak Express versus Black Market from FIP. And uh, finally, you got one other thing on the DVD, something that had just been released on YouTube before this show, which I think merits some discussion. And that's The Victory of Love, which was the second of the Jimmy Jacobs Music Video Trilogy. They included this. You can still find this on YouTube. Um, the promo from Jimmy. Jimmy says, wrestlers have an unparalleled ability to wrestle through injuries. He says in St. Paul, he blew out his knee wrestling homicide, which maybe explains why we criticized Matt that match was not that good at all. I had no idea he blew out his knee wrestling homicide during that match. So, you know, now I feel guilty for criticizing it quite as hard. I had no idea, but, um, he says, you know, he blew out his knee that night, but he kept going. He says the next night he had to wrestle with the worst injury he ever had though. You see, he's wrestled with bone chips in his elbows, concussions, severely damaged, sciatic, sciatic nerve, broken fingers, broken toes, a broken wrist. But that night, He wrestled DJ Whitmer with a broken heart because he says that after the match with Homicide, he saw his baby, Lacey, having sex with Colt Caban in the shower, which, again, you didn't see him having sex. They were fully clothed, just kissing. Anyway, he says to say his heart was torn is an understatement. It might not have shown in x-rays, but his heart was broken in seven different places, man. Lacey told him two times before to take BJ out in matches and each time it didn't happen. But that that next night, that time powered by love, he broke BJ's ankle and now BJ's going to be out for months. Jimmy says he's not down anymore because the adoration of the heart holds victory over the sins of the flesh. He says whatever physical attraction Lacey and Cole have, it doesn't match up to love. So he's rededicating himself with a new love song. Jimmy is sure the fans will think this new song will be him all bummed out and crying about Lacey with another guy. But no, this song is an upbeat one. It's about the biggest victory of all, the victory of love. We then get... Another great Jimmy Jacobs music video, another ballad. It starts with Jimmy journaling that it's been 232 days since he professed his love to Lacey and 44 days since he came along, but he knows he's one day closer to being with her. So he's literally counting the days. We then get the song, we get lines like, tears wash away the makeup from my eye and i believe like ducky said to andy girl i die for you so a 16 candles reference we get visuals like jimmy writing jj and l in a heart on the in the of the beach which i love like Lacey in canon does not have a last name or if she does jimmy does not know it we yeah. um the, be- the, be- the best the, be-
2: the best part though was when all the the women on the beach like Or like on the docks around him. And then he's like, no, no, I can't do it. And he just jumps into the water to escape their, them because he's, (laughs) he's saving himself for Lacey and Lacey only.
0: We also get Jimmy petting a cat. We get Jimmy sitting in front of a tombstone marked Jacob's. And then, yeah, like Matt said, the most ridiculous part, the girls on the docks surround a shirtless Jimmy just walking on the docks shirtless as you do. And he's like, whoa, women, and just jumps into the water. And then in the strangest part of all, it ends with an audio clip of Jeremy Piven from the 2001 Romantic – comedy or drama serendipity saying you know the greeks didn't write obituaries they only asked one question after a man died did he have passion i don't know why he
2: included that well, clip well, on wait, all did, did you wait did you like identify that yourself no i had
0: to google that i googled it because i was like i have to know i i could tell by the voice it was jeremy pimp i was like like this is not a famous movie i was like what the hell and so i google it's like it's from the 2001 movie serendipity i was like what the but it was it's the most bizarre choice to put in this. But worth again, this is free on YouTube still, worth going out of your way to see. It's not as good as the 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 ballad of Lacey, but it's pretty good. Um so we opened the DVD proper after all of that with the Briscoes backstage jay says tonight roh brings in the ghc heavyweight champion marafuji but you think the bristles are scared of him jay says they've beaten Kenta down multiple times tonight will be no different jay says they haven't forgot i mean mark says they haven't forgotten about homicide and samojo tomorrow night either time to man up we then get two dark matches that do not make the dvd just student matches alex Payne defeats bobby dempsey derek dempsey defeats mitch franklin and then we get the opener that we do see on dvd the ring crew express of Marcos. Defeat Pele Primo and Rhett Titus in two minutes, three seconds, when Marcos pinned Titus after he hit the senton off the shoulders of Dunn. Uh, I'd call this a squash, except the team that lost in two minutes got almost all of the offense. Like, the students actually kind of dominated the match till like, near the end. Um, guys, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this. Um, I-, I will say, if you want a little bit of Ring of Honor trivia, this is the first match Rhett Titus ever had on a Ring of Honor main card, unless you count him working against Samoa Joe and Adam Pearce with Pelly as hardcore wrestlers number one and two at Supercard of Honor, but they were wearing masks and not as themselves. But, you know, Rhett is one of the longest like tenured wrestlers in Ring of Honor. This is is a start on the main card as himself. But, uh, guys, you have any thoughts about this before we get to the other Dun & Marcos match?
2: Everything Uh, they did looked fine. That's all I can say about it.
1: Uh, Rhett and Pelly had a terrible version of Blitzkrieg Bob for their entrance music, and uh, oh yeah, that's, they did. Into my thoughts.
0: The other thing is, th- you'll notice at, the st- at this match and for the rest of the night, for some reason, I guess, because of the tent, the hard camera. Whenever they cut to the hard camera, it's kind of off to the side, which is really one of those things that just bugs me. <laughs> like, like it, it, it's it's a it's almost felt like they were relying then more on the. On the handheld cam, because it was like they almost didn't want to cut as much to the hard cam because it was kind of to an angle, I guess, to accommodate the tent and the fans. But another little weird thing you'll know. So Chris here and Claudio Castanali then make their way through the crowd to ringside as the crowd explodes and fuck you, hero chants. Hero gets on the mic and says he'd like to let all the fans here know that he loves them, too. Hero says this is a very big weekend for Ring of Honor because it's the one where the kings of wrestling show their dominance in ROH. They're the best tag team in wrestling today. Hero and Claudio challenge down and Marcos, and it's on. And we get the kings of wrestling, of Chris Hero and Claudio Casagnoli, defeating the Ring Crew Express in 5 minutes, 20 seconds, when Hero pins Marcos after he and Claudio hit him with the KRS-One, which stands for Kings Reign Supreme Over Everyone. Um... In addition to this match being on the show, this aired for in full for free on the next ROH Video Wire online, and uh, this was kind of like even though technically the Kings of Wrestling had had one match in Ring of Honor as a team during the uh, CZW feud, I think that was versus like Adam Pearson and maybe BJ Whitmer. That really didn't really show off like the kind of what they the kind of wrestling they were famous for in, in places like Um uh, Matt, what do you think about this? This is definitely a much more showing what they almost like a reintroduction of them i would say to ring of honor fans
2: yeah this is this is a a true squash you know obviously the ring crew express gets some hope spots and but i actually like the way you called it a reintroduction because to me claudio has been very much at sea for a while in the roh stuff we've been watching for the past you know few months and this is like okay now Claudio gets to be Claudio. You know, he does that spot where he has, uh, you know, both of, uh, the ring crew expresses legs over his, uh, his shoulders and he does like a spin. You know, he's getting to show like, okay, he's a really impressive physical specimen, which he hadn't really been doing in a while. And obviously that's one thing that, you know, to this day, we all like about Claudio is how strong he is and the things he could do. And, you know, they, they do some of their cool double team spots and it's just like, I don't know, I feel like this more than anything, this is almost like a rehabilitation of Claudio in one squash match. Hero is hero and he's you know he's great to watch, but I've been really disappointed in how they'd presented Claudio for a while, and this you know it made my heart swell to see him get to actually not be booked as a as a dork for once um i also thought it was funny that they had gabe come in to do commentary to make fun of chris hero and do this like inside joke about chris hero fake posting on a message board about himself like i don't totally remember the details but i remember vaguely something about this but it seems a little inside even for an ROH DVD.
0: so yeah i, I wrote in my notes gabe goes on the mic, even though you know it's it's um Dave Prazak and MSL on commentary as Jared David, but, um, Gabe goes on commentary during this match, and he goes, it's misting outside right now, so he's letting you know it's raining. And then he goes, he asks, what kind of guy is Chris here to go online on his live journal and claim he's the tag champ because he stole the tag belts?" Gabe then wonders, "Is Chris what's Chris here going to do next? Fake posting on message boards about himself? And I wrote my notes, Matt. I have no idea if this is a shot at Rob Feinstein, a shot at Gabe himself, or one of a 100 possible wrestlers because so many people during this era – posted on wrestling message boards not as themselves because i believe rob was like i think phil schneider talked about when he gets on the show that rob would post under pseudonyms on the death alley driver board i think gabe was known for posting as people that was that were not gabe sapolsky on the ring of honor message board so i think and wrestlers definitely did this so Who knows who came to star? Probably himself, probably poking fun at himself, but who knows?
2: Um, Sometimes it happens so much that even my own posts, I'd wonder if I was secretly a wrestling star.
0: (laughs) Uh, Joe, what do you think about this? And also, were you one of the fans chanting plastic belts at the Kings of Wrestling who had brought their Chikara titles to the show?
1: I thought the Chikara belts looked fine. I would not partake in that chant, but this was – basically the equivalent of like a Steiner's state patrol match on worldwide, not really competitive. And the chance for the superior team to show off their cool moves, which uh, they did in abundance. So that was a win.
0: Yeah. I-, I thought this was them showing off way more of their kind of, almost kind of, kind of convoluted, kind of wacky Chakara, like intricate double teams and stuff like Matt mentioned. The, it was a cool spot where Claudio drapes both of Dunn and Marcos upside down over his shoulders basically by the legs and then like spins like a giant swing. And then he stops so Hero can tie their arms together, which doesn't really do a thing, and then double drop kick their heads as they're held upside down. And then I thought the KRS-One... Is such a cool finisher. It's such a simple finisher, but it's cool where for those who haven't seen it, you know, Claudio and Hero, who are two tall boys, they they hold the guy so that basically the guy's planking on their shoulders. Their opponent's just like held out so he's draped over their shoulders. And then they count down like you know, one, two, three. I guess that's counting up. Or three, two, one. I don't know if they count up or count down. Anyway, they throw the guy way in the air, and then kind of flip him as he's in midair, and the guy just kind of falls down on their back. They're just throwing a guy in the air real high, but it looks really cool, and that was the finisher. You get the first dive onto grass on this show, and he, he – um, funny little th- – bit of little detail you can see you can actually hear chris hero turn to marcos as he pins him and tell him thank you right after he pins him so very polite that chris hero um this was actually done in marcos the ring crew express's final match ever in ring of honor so Matt, that's crazy i know yeah um it's it, it's it's i, I can't say Dunn and marcos are a team that should have had more in Ring i think they were booked pretty exactly where they should have been but i do think like they deserve some roles. they were a very fun kind of niche little tag team i think you know they were fun as the team that got squashed and they were fun occasionally like getting a mini push very rarely like that um the carnage crew feud i think was enjoyable it's um it's gonna be sad to see him go, even though they were almost never booked by this point. This was the, this night was their last hurrah, and they're using it to put over a new team for Ring of Honor.
2: They basically always delivered in terms of being entertaining and getting the crowd behind them, like pretty much always. You know, they were good in the scramble matches. They were good in those like brawling uh, matches that they had occasionally. I think that they, you know, they're they're an underrated team. If they if if anyone had ever gotten behind them and like really like believe in them, I I think they could have risen to the occasion and been even better, and been a, a team on you know on a level. But you know, I think probably people didn't think that they had the look or certain type of charisma to to carry that. But I was always thoroughly entertained by, i pretty much everything they ever did in ROH. And yeah. I, it sounds like the crowd was too. So you know it was it's, it's gonna be sad to see them go, but you know they've also been off our radar for a while
1: because they're barely used yeah. at all at this point anyway. It's kind of shocking. I yeah, was kind they, of oh, go on. I was gonna say they were certainly a staple of early Ring of Honor. Everyone kind of everyone remember them, I think, pretty fondly. And you know, I kind of wonder like, what if they had gotten that kind of miracle world tag team title run that um. Who was it? It was uh, Tony Mamaluke and Sal Renaro. That yeah. that didn't really go anywhere. What if the Ring Crew Express have gotten that? Would they have paid any more dividends? But like Matt said, they were probably booked pretty properly, given all yeah. things considered.
0: And then we go to, uh, Christopher Daniels backstage. Daniels says he hasn't forgotten the last time he wrestled Nigel McGinnis for the peer title in Dayton and Nigel threw a photographer at him in order to win by countout. But Daniels also says he's noticed a change in McGinnis' behavior in recent months. He saw his valiant recent battles with Brian Danielson. Daniels says the, the, qu- the question he has now is he, is he facing that Nigel that cuts corners to win or is he facing this new Nigel that battles valiantly and never says die? Daniel says, though, he doesn't care. He puts over Nigel's recent accomplishments, but then he says, people have forgotten who Christopher Daniels really is, that he's God's gift to professional wrestling. He says tonight he's going to remind the Ring of Honor fans who he really is by reminding Nigel how good he can be. I actually thought this was one of Daniel's better ROH promos in a long time. Like, it was one of those impassioned, not only, like, it was impassioned, but it was also one of those promos where a wrestler basically cuts his opponent's promo for him because I feel like the commentators haven't done as good as his job as Daniel's doing this promo of like establishing that, Oh, Nigel's is starting to act more faceish You know, he's not cheating as much and you know, he's kind of changing and Daniel's really like lays it out all for you right here. And then I even like the way he kind of frames this match. He like kind of gives this match that doesn't have stakes, but kind of framing it as like, this is a match where I've got to prove to to everybody. Like that I'm back on track, you know, that I'm haven't lost a step here in ring of honor. So, I actually thought this was a really good promo. Um and then we move on. We immediately cut to Nigel McGuinness backstage, and he directly responds to Daniel's promo. So he must have gotten a copy of this DVD in advance, uh, through the like that spaceball like that scene in Spaceballs where they have a tape of the movie as the movie is happening, and they catch up to the movie. But anyway, um,
2: ROH is so much like Spaceballs. Finally, somebody said it.
0: <laughs> Definitely surrounded by assholes. But um, saying that Nigel, he says, you know, the Nigel that. C- pets corners and the valiant fighter are one in the same sunshine he says either way i get the job done and i win nigel does put over daniel's but then he says i'm going to use this wave of momentum i'm on right now to take the ghc heavyweight title for Naomiichi marifuji tomorrow so a very quick nigel promo to kind of counter the daniel's promo and that brings us to our second match the four corner survival match jack evans defeats colt Jimmy Jacobs, who was scored the ring by Lacey and Ricky Reyes in 13 minutes, five seconds. When Jack pinned Jacobs after hitting a forward flipping leg drop off the top rope, um, Before the match, Colt has Bobby Cruz make an announcement. Colt would like to clear something up. He and Lacey did not reach third base in the bushes 40 minutes ago. The fans at that point chant, yes, you did. Yeah,
2: that genius and subtle crowd, the chants, yes, you did. I wanted to, like, show them all that Rainer Wolfcastle meme that was like, that's the joke.
0: Colt then gives Lacey a smack on the ass, which she isn't when she isn't looking. A fan desperately tries to start a chant of smell his fingers, which thankfully does not catch on. Um, Jimmy pouts, which he'll be doing a lot throughout the match. And then as the match starts, Jack Evans says, Lacey's a catch. And he gets the crowd to chant that Colt's a pimp. So I, 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 I
2: like I the dichotomy between Lacey's a catch, which is kind of an old-fashioned expression, and Colt's a pimp, which is – much newer and I, I just thought that was a a funny dichotomy between two concepts she's a catch so if you date her you're a pimp like
0: yeah i was i was <laughs> about to say something similar which i thought was funny like the crowd's chanting slut at lazy before the match someone was offering her dollars the crowd was chanting she's a crack whore and then jack evans gets in the ring he's like she's a cat like i was yeah. like that's that's kind of sweet and
2: quick <laughs> i, I missed this I, I i'm imagining like my uh, my old jewish grandmother Saying to me like if I was dating somebody like oh she's a real catch my 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 baby is such a pimp <laughs> that was not so, uh, that was not really an impression of my Jewish grandmother let me try this again oh honey she's a real catch my baby such a pimp <laughs> that's also a bad impression but it's closer
0: you know what Matt none of us know so you could have gotten away and told us that was a perfect uh, impression but uh, Joe what do you think about this match which is a lot of comedy me and also could you do an impression of your grandmother for us
1: uh no <laughs> <I don't>. okay <laughs> my grandmother passed away a long time ago so i don't well really. then that's easy oh yeah <laughs> that's brutal anyway um, yeah no this was a, a very entertaining match and very very different this was a very kind of straight heavy wrestling show and this was kind of a welcome departure from it although Looking back, Colt comes across a lot more heelish than I remember as is, is tormenting of poor, of poor uh, Jimmy. But I did actually guffaw when uh, he was sabotaging their double team maneuvers. I thought that was a great bit, and I thought Jack Evans was the standout here, both as the Greek chorus for the uh, ongoing uh, relationship drama, and I thought his high flight was just uh, great here. And he, some people were stymied by the tent, but uh, not Jack Evans for the finish, as he and Trevor you posted this on your on your X or Twitter account where he goes to the walks out to the middle of the top rope kind of holds up the tent and just flings himself and it ends up being a somersault leg drop i don't know if that was the intent i don't know whether uh what he had in mind but it worked and he won and this was uh this was fun
0: Yeah, it's crazy because I don't know – like he goes to the top rope and he's like pushing up the tent. And then it seemed like he wanted to go for the 630 realized like I'm not going to be able to jump high enough and not catch the tent and maybe kill myself. So you think, okay, he'll just drop down. He rope walks like a few feet to get a little – so he's just staying on the ropes. And then he still almost does like the forward flip. And like you were saying, I don't know if he meant to do what he basically does, which is like just like a forward flip leg drop, or if he was still trying to do the 630 and just – couldn't do enough rotations but either way it's insane he literally is having to push up the tent to create enough room for himself um and it's also crazy i upload that and i did not expect that to uh catch on i just checked my twitter i uploaded that clip that has like a hundred that currently has a hundred and forty nine thousand views on twitter right now wow like it, it's crazy that these shows were probably just selling, like, I don't know, a few thousand DVDs, and, like, now 17 years later, I, if you, like, gift the right thing...
2: Wait, 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 wait. Like, Trevor, they, Trevor, they... Trevor, 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 if you gift the right thing... No, if you gift the right thing, Trevor, you're the one who would put all the well, attention you... on it. Not if I, if I did it, it would only get views if you retweeted it. <laughs> yeah, but I'll, I'll just say, I, I do lots of tweets that will get, like
0: less than 10,000 views or 5,000 views or something. So like this had this, this caught on like people really liked sharing this, you know, for something to get over a hundred thousand is not normal for me. So that, that, that was clearly people were like, Oh, that's really crazy to see Jack Evans do high flying in a really low tent that he probably shouldn't have even attempted, but he pulled off. But, um, So yeah, this match was really just like a burst of wrestling from Jack and Ricky Reyes at the start, a burst of wrestling mostly from them at the end. And then one long Jacob's Colt angle in the middle. It was basically all Gaga, comedy, drama in the middle. Because the entire middle of the match is just a story with Colt constantly needling Jimmy about having sex with Lacey. Jimmy constantly moping at times. He's not even like looking up from the turnbuckle. He's just got his face buried in it. He's so depressed. Lacey keeps trying to get Colt and Jimmy to work together. She forces Jimmy to tag Colt in when he doesn't want to. Colt sets Jimmy up for double-team moves, but then Jimmy – he'll make Jimmy crash and burn, as Joe said, like a complete asshole. Like he'll he'll set up a guy for a hard-attack clothesline, and then as Jimmy's about to hit the clothesline, Colt just like walks away, so Jimmy will crash and burn. Eventually, they do start actually teaming a bit better as like a real unit, and then they go for stereo clotheslines, and then their opponent drops out of the way, and they hit each other. Uh, And and yeah, I guess the – I was – Joe, thank God you said that because – About like oh I I was surprised to see Colt looking like such a jerk because that's something that Matt and I have been talking about on the show lately is how like no one in the Jimmy Colt Lacy love triangle storyline comes off as sympathetic. But I also felt like is that just something where like me and Matt are in like a a moral bubble? I will say because like the crowd I remember liking the storyline at the time and there's still elements of it that I like that are really entertaining. Like even this match it's entertaining, but I didn't like. I don't feel like the crowd is just fully behind cult. Like they love cult. I don't think most people are feeling the way Matt and I did. So the fact that you're saying like, Oh yeah, he comes off as a jerk. Like that makes me feel better because again, yeah, this is another match where like, Everyone loves Colt because he's the fun, goofy, charismatic, fun loving baby face and he's funny. But if you actually look at the meat of what's happening happening here, no one is likable. Like Lacey's getting heaps of sexist abuse from the fans and Colt's embarrassing her and smacking her on the ass and rubbing the fact that they've had sex in Jimmy's face and Colt – but you don't feel sympathy for her because she's, like, a very manipulative, abusive, selfish heel manager. Colt's, like, gleefully bullying Jimmy Jacobs at every turn, even though the guy's clearly having, like, a mental breakdown. And then Jimmy should be the sympathetic figure, except he comes off as a creep who's, like, stalking a girl who clearly has no interest in him. So, like, nobody is likable here, but – Matt what do you think of
2: this? Yeah, I mean and the thing that I that turns me off to it. I mean first of all as far as a moral bubble, I think a big part of it is just like different times, you know, like I yeah. think that's you know, this was a very very misogynistic era in wrestling and that's you know saying something for wrestling. Um but um I think that's part of it. Um but yeah it's just not the cult Cabana that I want to watch you know I, I like Colt when he is likable when he's a little bit goofier when he's not as mean spirited. I think the reason that Colt was positioned as the quote likable one here at the time was just you know he was manipulating the manipulator in Lacey and you know kind of getting one over on her and You know, showing up the weird, freaky creep. You know, as far as like the way the character is positioned in Jimmy Jacobs, I I think that was what made him the babyface here. But he was just, you know, I don't like the version of Colt that's just like a dick and and laughs at other people's misfortune. I don't think that's what Colt was. I don't think that's like the journey we went on with him in the whole homicide feud to make him back to being that character. I don't think being like the bully jock frat boy was called strong suit at least not as a baby face like i you know i could see that more as like the heel type that's more like what the no remorse core were were supposed to be that's not called cabana um so i uh that's i think why this doesn't land with me at least now yeah they did a good job they did an entertaining job and and as far as like besides the comedy spots Colt did some incredibly high hip tosses on Jimmy Jacobs. Like some of the, uh, some of the best hip tosses I've seen in a long time. Colt also tries to shake Jimmy's hand at one point and says that he and Punk would share girls all the time. And I was trying to think like, does CM Punk seem like he'd be into that idea? I'm not so sure, but I also, you know, I don't know him and definitely don't want to speak for CM Punk. No. Um, it's the last person who I want to, uh, uh make mad at me. So, um, yeah. I um, I, don't, I don't
0: know what you're talking. About. I I don't know. I couldn't relate, man. I couldn't relate.
2: Yeah, but um, yeah, I I I'm just not into the storyline. So I think that took the match down. Whenever Jack Evans got to do anything, it was awesome, and uh, he didn't get to do enough, in my opinion. Another thing that I noticed. This is a side point, um, but. Julius Smokes wasn't here with uh Ricky Reyes. And he hasn't been on the, the show as much lately. You know, he's not gone or anything. He'll be with homicide, you know, over the next, you know, couple months. But it was something, you know, now that um Nana is gone, um and Jay Lethal is no longer being booked, I think they're basically in an era where they have like the the only like uh black performer on the roster for like months at least on a regular basis is julius smokes and that's you know bizarre in modern wrestling i remember noticing this at the time like i think i think really until ruckus joins the roster the next summer um i think it's that's pretty unusual for a major american wrestling promotion to have uh, really like no black wrestlers and honestly very few wrestlers of color in general you know you have homicide you have reyes um you know you have uh, the stars of of NOah coming in, but it's an extremely white roster um for two thousand and six and and again, like I remember even at the time being like, "Uh, eh, that's not exactly cool. <laughs> I don't know,
0: and we've talked about how like in recent months uh in two thousand and six they had given like Jarrell Clark and Jay Fury some shots, and they both like looked good in like the limited opportunities they got, and then they're just never never brought
2: back right yeah i haven't haven't looked at like the results of every show but my recollection is like you know and maybe they had you know some wrestlers make some appearances but at least as far as like being a member of the roster i think it's not until ruckus comes that they have really like uh, other black wrestlers uh, on the roster
0: and also the company just paring down on managers right because like alice in danger also isn't around much anymore yeah, You know, and, and Nana's gone. Smokes has been right, at least during this little period, you know, less work. You know, until Larry Sweeney comes in, you know, we're kind of going a little bit lean on managers here. But, um, yeah, so uh, the other thing I was just going to say is, uh, Matt, you brought, brought up that point. I'll just say, the people say that I will post anything or that I don't have a filter or love to muckrake, which I – occasionally do, but like um I easily could have posted a, a a clip of Colt Cabana saying Jimmy when me and Punk were buddies we used to share girls all the time. That would have gotten attention. I I am not going to put that online. You you can put that on. That's a free thing for somebody else if you want attention and unnecessary drama. You can enjoy that. <laughs> I will not be
2: doing that this time. Trevor um, Trevor I endorse your decision. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and so yeah, Colt, does, I, I thought the match was decently entertaining. I think like both you and, and Joe said, like, I thought Jack really looked good here in his limits. There was one big spot that looked just so painful where, uh, um, uh, Ricky has Jack in the dragon sleeper and Colt does the quebrada Q- on both of them as they're in the hole. I just thought, ow, oh, oh, that, that would probably hurt with a lot of weight coming down. Um, You know, Colt does some other goofy sex things. Like, at one point, Lacey's talking to the photographer, Mary Kate, at ringside. And he notices that they're talking. He goes, one, two, three. Like, hey, do you want to have a threesome? At one point, like, he knocks uh, Jimmy flat on his back. And Colt just goes and says to him, that's how lazy was. So, like, just very dumb, goofy humor. But um, after the match, on the way out, Colt spots a young child fan and says, they'll have a talk about the birds and the bees when he's older. It's like, Colt. You don't need to talk to one. What? And, and, and then a couple of fans chant pussy whipped at Jimmy as he holds the ropes open for Lacey after all of the abuse he took. So yeah, again, I, I thought, you know, at least the match was different. It stood out among, I've seen so many four ways. Anytime a four way just stands out is a minor win for me. But, um, yeah, it, you know, not for everybody. So. Next up was Nigel McGinnis defeating Christopher Daniels via pitfall in 16 minutes, 44 seconds after he hit the Tower of London. Uh, Dave Meltzer wrote in The Observer based on live reports. Crowd wasn't into the early part of the match when they did the slow build mat wrestling. They The fact it was raining very hard in the tent didn't help either, but the crowd was into it at the end. And in fact, Gabe comes on the mic again at the start of this match, almost like apologetically being like, yeah, the rain's really coming down right now. And I, it was almost like he was like trying to like – Give give the guys a pass for how quiet the crowd was at the start of this match. I'll say this, though. um, I don't know if these two just don't have great chemistry with each other or they're just both these matches have been victims of them going easy on the first half of a double shot. But this is the second Nigel Daniels match we've seen this year that I felt was disappointing. And I actually think I like the first one they had at a Weekend of Champions Night 1 this year bet, a little bit better than this one. In fact, I, I often, when I see a guys are having a rematch, I check my notes of past shows to see what I thought about the their prior match to give myself a bit of a refresher. And here I wrote in that one, I basically wrote in that one that, like, you know, Nigel works over Daniel's arm, Daniels works over Nigel's neck. They do the exact same thing in this match, which makes sense because Nigel has an arm submission, which, although he never uses it in this match, and Daniels has a lot of offense that targets the neck, but... This match just didn't feel like it had a lot of ideas or brain power behind it. Like almost the first half of it is Nigel working Daniel's arm on the mat with some fairly sedate technical wrestling to the point that someone in the crowd tries to start a boring chant, but he gets immediately shouted down. And from there, we ramp up into a more action-oriented match in the second half. And it's decent, but I felt like it never gets so fun that it kind of earns the slow work in the first half. Likewise, like Daniel's selling of his arm i thought was solid but there's never really a big payoff nor does the match ever get really breakneck exciting at the end in fact like the most memorable match part of the match to me is the end which is something that joe put on his twitter um matt you should put something on twitter for from the show and we could plug your twitter but although we always plug your twitter but gifts, matt video clips that's the way of the future anyway most memorable part of this match was at the very end where nigel hits the tower of london but instead of Doing it in the corner, he um basically flips cl- like Daniel's like backwards or like behind him, so that Daniel's lands like stomach first on the top rope, and then he positions him from there into the Tower of London. It was just <laughs> a really really cool sequence. So overall, I thought this was above average but really nothing special this was like a lot of daniel singles roh matches lately where it's very technically decent very professional professional wrestling but also kind of boring and instantly forgettable but maybe i'm being too hard on like uh joe
1: what'd you think uh yeah it was super rough there for a while And the crowd wasn't making noise until he erupted in a huge uh, F Green Lantern (laughs) fan uh, chant. And um, I I don't I don't know what he did. I think he was just being the Green Lantern fan. But it's always funny when the announcers just ignore things like this. Not that you want to stop and be like, you know, like, well, here's who Green Lantern fan is. But, uh, you know, it's just, you know, they're just like, well, what a headlock by Nigel. There's a thunderous chant going on. It's just it's a no win situation. But I liked how they kind of played with the tent. Like Nigel went for the headstand, couldn't do it because the tent was in the way. Daniels tried to moonsault later on that um, he couldn't do it because, you know, he uh, didn't have the room because of the tent. And, uh, you know, it, it, it got good by the end. There was some good near fall. The action picked up. Not enough to make it, like, anything better than than pretty good. But, yeah, the ending was uh, pretty crazy as, as Nigel just kind of threw Daniels over his head and had to have him land properly, like, have him not fall out of the ring or fall too short. And that was the most impressive part. So they certainly ended on a high note.
2: Uh, matt what do you think um i know that uh the two of you pretty much are part of the consensus i've read other reviews and stuff um so like when i watched the match i uh you know i wasn't expecting it but i actually really like this match a lot like i i definitely thought it was a lot better than the first match they had against each other i would actually go four stars on this match i thought yeah i thought that you know, yes, the heat was rough and there were, you know, external factors to that, but I thought that the execution of everything was great. You know, maybe the selling of, you know, some like the, like the arm when Daniels takes over isn't as good as it could be, but I thought this was Daniels best singles match in ROH, probably since the Danielson match at Night of Tribute in November 2005. That's how much I liked it. I, I'm really just enjoying Nigel's transition into this baby face, hard hitting version of Nigel. Um, I and like, you know, like you mentioned, uh, Joe playing with the with the tent, you know, where his uh his legs are on the tent during the um, you know, during the headstand. I, uh, you know, I really like the spot where Nye, where Daniels ducked a second rebound lariat and locked in the Koji clutch. You know, that was one spot that really did get the crowd, um, going a lot. Um, I like you know that Daniels couldn't do the BME, and Nigel uses his frustration for a roll up. I thought there was a lot of really cool stuff at the end, and then to me, the thing that really put it over the top with the uh, with the uh, um, four star rating is that finish. That was such an awesome finish and very clever. And yeah, I think this match is super underrated, and I am really, I mean, like I really don't understand don't understand why nobody likes it, but That's fine. I'm happy to be on an island. I really, really liked it, and I might even say it was the second, you know, or very close third best match of the night. Wow. Um, Yeah, I don't think
0: we've disagreed that this much. Like this is it would be like I might give this two and three quarter stars maybe, Uh, and so this might be your equivalent of how I felt about the Nigel cult European rules match, which even yes. called on Twitter was like, no, that wasn't a good match. I was like, no, that's, that's a great match. But, um, <laughs> uh, everyone check it out because yeah, it, it, again, I, I did not hate the match, but I did not see it. So yeah, I'm, I'm surprised, but that's interesting because usually I'm like the outlier. So I, I'm, you know what, Matt, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Cause you know, it's nice to have nice things also joe <laughs> i thought you made a great point about the fuck green lantern thing because I, I sometimes or at least i don't know i, I like that you brought it up I, I i don't know if your point was anything other than it's funny to see crowds ch- ignore the announcers ignore chance of fuck green lantern fan. but I, I i think sometimes when i see those chants like i try to imagine like any kind of young fan that's like i'm gonna be a student of wrestling i'm gonna watch like the old indies and just wondering like why are people chanting fuck Green Lantern at wrestling shows? Like, the superhero Green Lantern. Like, like there are going to be fans of a, of a future generation that have no idea who Green Lantern fan is. And the fans don't chant fuck Green Lantern fan. They chant fuck Green Lantern. So they're like, why don't you like Hal Jordan? Like a well, bunch of Sinestros in this crowd. Well,
2: well they just have to wa- If they're watching ROH chronologically, they'll watch the Fight of the Century DVD, and they'll know by, from Steve Carino how people feel about the Green Lantern fan, I guess.
0: Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I can't even Steve Carino went out of his way. Like, poor Green Lantern fan, although yes. I have a feeling he probably enjoyed it. I, I feel like he reveled in yeah. his Green Lantern fan Yeah, who knows? So, um... After the match, Nigel says into the camera in one of the the, the hard, not the hard cam but one of the handheld cams at ringside, "Mera you're next, pal." And I was flabbergasted and so impressed because this feels like every time a wrestler speaks into the ringside cam on a Ring of Honor show, they speak into the one that Ring of Honor never uses. So you never this was like one of the rare times the wrestlers like talked cut a promo into the right camera, so we actually hear and see it. Nigel then calls Daniels one hell of a wrestler and the two men do some mutual admiration. They shake hands, they hug, they raise each other's arms, all that fun stuff. So everyone's a face still. Um, I don't know if this was the point in the show that it happened, but, um, because I don't know if this was exactly what intermission was, but something happens that if, if this is intermission, something happens that we did not get to see on the DVD, which again was kind of interesting because again, this was only a two and a half hour show. We had the time to show this, but uh, I will go to um, Sean Radikin's PW Torch live report. He wrote, it was announced that they would be returning to East Windsor on e- December 22nd. Announcer Bobby Cruz emphasized the show would be inside, which drew a pop from some of the rain soaked fans sitting on the outskirts of the tent. Bobby Cruz brought the Noah wrestlers, but just as the crowd had begun to give them an ovation, RVH World Champion Brian Danielson's music hit. Danielson Danielson came out and ran down the good people of East Windsor before getting down to business. Danielson said he would beat the crap out of all the Noah wrestlers if he had to in order to defeat Kenta in Manhattan. So, yeah, obviously they gave him – danielson the night off he was supposed to wrestle airy Arie, austin aries on the show but because of his just newly inflicted shoulder injury this i let's let him rest up for the keter batch the next night you don't actually see danielson at all on this dvd this does this does not make the dvd now joe listening back i don't know if you remember but listening back to you and matt on joe versus the world you had a funny little note of something danielson said about um
1: oh absolutely <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a fan you suck and Danielson says, "I suck." You're the ones in a tent. So I thought that was just a wonderful comeback. I remember past Matt argued, "Well, he was in a tent too," but I, you know, I I countered, "You know, not for the whole night. We yeah, were yeah. in a tent. He had a brief
2: tent appearance, and you were like stuck yes. in a tent for hours and paid for and it. I
1: was trapped in a tent. Yeah, yes. yeah.
0: They're the ones getting rained on, but um. Next, we get a Samoa Joe promo outside. He calls this the eve of Glory by Honor, even though it's technically night one of Glory yeah, by Honor 5, Joe. I,
2: I, yeah, sorry, sorry, people of Connecticut, but. Even the wrestlers didn't consider this the real glory by honor.
0: <laughs> um, Joe says he is very fond of this event, he made his de- Ring of Honor debut at the very first Glory by Honor. Joe says he'll be at every Glory by Honor he can possibly be at. I'll note at this point, this was the last Glory by Honor <laughs> Joe was at. He was long <laughs> gone by the next year's Glory by Honor, like by many months. So uh, we gotta get Tony Joe to bring. We honored. gotta
2: we gotta get Tony to bring back Glory by Honor. It's the one that he hasn't brought back. <laughs>
0: Joe says tonight he needs to make a statement to Roderick Strong. In Minnesota, Roderick Strong accomplished something that most people in the history of wrestling couldn't accomplish. He pinned Samoa Joe, but Joe says that for everybody that hopes Strong will be the next great thing, the Samoa Joe killer, they'll be disappointed because what happened in Minnesota was a fluke. Tonight he'll teach Joe he'll teach Roddy why Joe is pro wrestling. We then get a classic Gabe cut as we get like, you know, more after the more after the promo's done. And I got a kick out of how instant Joe's change was from very intense to low intensity, like once a year, the guy's like, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> Next, someone walks up to Joe with Takeshi Morishima in cho- tow. It's probably somebody I should rec- recognize, probably some important higher-up higher worker for NOAA, but you know, they've got Morishima. He says, I want to introduce Morishima to, to you, Joe. Joe says, hello in Japanese to Morishima, shakes his hand, says, welcome to Ring of Honor. I hope you can hack it. And before he walks away, which leaves Morishima looking very annoyed and confused. So some foreshadowing for the tomorrow night.
1: I thought um, uh, Morishima's like, "Hey, face," when Joe made that comment was uh, was tremendous.
0: <laughs> and then that brings us to uh, Austin Aries defeating Davey Richards via pinfall in 17 minutes seven seconds after he hit a brainbuster. So again, this was this was supposed to be Aries versus. Um, uh Danielson for the world title got postponed for the second time. This was originally that match was supposed to happen and anarchy in the UK got postponed then cuz uh Aries rang his ribs. So, interesting thing here. This was the first time these two wrestled in a ring of honor, but this was not the first time they wrestled Period, because he had actually wrestled less than two weeks earlier in PWG for the 2006 Battle of LA tournament, and Davey Richards actually won the tournament. So again, this is how big a year this was for Davey Richards. in In this one year in 2006, he wins the Super Eight tournament, he wins the Battle of Los Angeles, and he gets a job with Ring of Honor, which where they give him like a rare for Ring of Honor like push right off the jump. So this was like a really big time period for Davey Richards. Um, Matt, what did you uh? What did you think about this match? This was another match where Gabe's trying to defend. Like, he goes, he, at the start, Gabe comes on the commentary again. He goes, you know, you're, the rain's really trying to come down. The fan, you might hear the fans be more quiet as a result. <laughs> you know, he, and, and he apologized. He goes, I'm sorry that we had to ho- show, hold the show in the tent, came hours away from being canceled. Again, this, you know, d- Gabe very apologetic here. What do you think about the match, Matt?
2: I guess the way that most people felt about Nigel versus Daniels is sort of how I felt about this in terms of being disappointed. Like it was definitely very stiff, but it felt kind of repetitive to me. And I thought it took longer than Nigel versus Daniels did to like really pick up into the exciting point of the match. It was a bit longer. And obviously, there were bigger moves involved. And there was a really great near fall near the end where uh, Richards blocks a brain buster and then Aries does a punt and hits a brain buster and gets a two count. Like the crowd chance that was three. I like that was a really great spot. And, uh, you know, and then obviously uh, Aries couldn't hit the 450 because of the tent. So he got, um, he got the win after another brain buster. But, you know, I think if you like the stiffness, you'll like the match a lot more than me. But I just thought it was just kind of two guys kicking each other, hitting each other without a ton of heat for a long time. And it just felt a little bit on the dull side. Still well executed, you know. Um Early in the match, um uh, the announcers emphasized that, like, these two are, quote, mirror images in terms of style. I don't think I really agree with that. I, I kind of see what they mean, but a- Ares, you know, while pretty stiff, is much more of, like – his style was much more about finesse than about strikes. I don't know. Do you think that these two were mirror images of each other in terms of style at this point?
0: No, I, I don't think so. I, I think Davey Richards was much more growly meathead where Ares was kind of like a jack-of-all-trades kind of guy.
2: Yeah, I did write this about the Gabe comment. I said, Jimmy Bauer comes on the mic to apologize about the tent and the rain and water on the camera real professional and then i wrote i can't tell if i'm being sarcastic or not with that comment <laughs> <laughs> um, i don't know if that was like real professional or if it was like yeah real professional still not sure but uh you can decide for yourself um but uh but yeah i don't i don't know i uh i there it, it was funny that they uh there was a spot where aries uh ducked um a a forearm after they exchanged it, hit an elbow, and then they both clothesline each other with like, you know, and fall on top of each other and they're both down. And the only thing I could think of, this is very different from the all-in show I just went to, because when they both hit a clothesline, they didn't pin each other. So now that's what I'll always think when I see two guys clothesline each other. Um but – and then the other, the other funny thing that I uh, heard on commentary was as they traded strikes in the middle of the ring, Jared David goes, this is a throwback to the origins of our business. Two guys beating each other up in a tent and Prazak calls it a carnival-like atmosphere and I can't tell <laughs> – is that putting the show over? I'm not sure if it is. Um, but yeah, I thought this match was a little more boring than I would have liked um, even Ooh. though the uh, moves and stuff were were, were cool.
0: So I I agree with you, Matt, on this match. I I like this match a little bit more than the uh, Nigel um, uh, Daniels match. I I would call this a very low good. But, yeah, I I, I don't think these two gave a match for people to go crazy about. You know, it's another one of those matches that not only does it not have a story going into the match or within the match itself. It doesn't really even have a defined face or heel. You're just left with moves, and it's a decent mid-tempo match that I never got bored by. But never really kicks into high gear. Although it does have that one you mentioned, really hot near fall on the brainbuster right at the end. Um, you know, maybe the tent limited things a little bit. Ares ends up using the Brain Buster as his finisher rather than do, try even try a 450. So he's, he just knows he's not gonna be able to do it here. Davy did do a dive to the floor, Kent with the grass on his back, which was is is, is a fun visual to be like, oh man, you get reminded like, oh this is you're you're actually outside, you know. Um, and I did, and I wrote my notes. Even though Davey Richards wrestled part of this match with his back having a bunch of grass on it, it would still be the back in this match I would most want to eat food off of because Aries had a real case of back knee going on because like it was a, uh, his back was looking like MGF's shoulder did on Dynamite this week. But, um.
2: The back you would most like to eat food off of. If
0: I had to eat off, if I had to eat dinner off either of them, <laughs> of either of these guys' backs during this day and time, Davey Richards all the way, man, even with a little bit of grass. That's just some salad.
2: Trevor, I told you this podcast should never be so sexy.
0: <laughs> so I, I did like the the bit of the mat work to start. And honestly, one of my favorite parts of this match was um, – there was three instances of this match of Aries kind of suckering Davy into things like – um, there's times where, you know, Davy's wanting to get into strike battles and Ares will either like cut him off with a drop kick to the knee or one time he's even goes up to Davy's like, just kick me, kick me harder. And when Davy goes to then throw a kick, Ares immediately just grabs it and turns it into his, uh, like a knee breaker back suplex coming. I like stuff like that. Like it didn't make Ares seem like a heel. It just made him seem smart and Davy to be kind of like, you know, again, more of the meathead. He's just very aggressive and maybe not always thinking straight, but um joe what'd you think
1: i actually like this quite a bit more than than both of you i thought there was kind of a a natural story where aries ribs were all taped up but you know they said at the start davy didn't want to attack it he wanted to out wrestle him but he soon kind of was was forced to to go that way that provided a nice through line through the match and they just beat the hell out of each other like i know the tent was limiting in in some ways but you can still just kick the shit out of each other uh which they did and the, the near fall you mentioned i wasn't it looked like davy didn't kick out to me like something like i don't know if he got knocked loopy for a second or or what but like they still wrestle for a bit they didn't go right to like an immediate finish they still did a couple other near falls but um finish so that was kind of the only black mark but i i enjoy this quite a bit
0: yeah that moment where prazak is like you know um what a good sport Richards has been not going after Aries. It's one of those commentary things I always feel so bad for the commentators where they say something and then like seconds later it gets contradicted because right after Pacek says like, you know, what a good sport Richards has been, you know, not going after the ribs. Seconds later, Davey knees Aries in the ribs, which is like the first time the match he hits him and Pesach has to be like, well, I curse that, you know. Um, and, Speaking of uh, great clips uploaded to Twitter, Joe, you upload a absolutely insane spot in this match where um, Richards does Davy Richards does the handspring off the ropes where he then goes and does the big spinning kick. Except like in mid handspring in mid air, Aries drop kicks um Davy right in like between the shoulder blades, neck, head hits that like real contact. It looks incredible, like the pinpoint accuracy looked brutal. Great looking, cool spot. Um. Also, I know someone in the crowd tried to start an Austin Powers chant during this match, and he immediately gets booed down. So I was just like, oh, someone's named Austin. I'm going I know a reference, so good on you, crowd. You did the right move here. Um so after the match, Aries helps Davy to his feet. The two shake hands. A fan yells at Aries to enjoy the tag tails for the next twenty-four hours. Aries tells the fan he has something on his chin his other chin and then he calls him a fat fuck so Austin Aries uh that that
2: that tells me that Austin Aries was like shoot mad that he was going to be dropping the title
0: (laughs) like yeah I was like that's pretty gotten to for like a pretty innocuous line like you'd have to imagine that most wrestlers get shouted something some something worse than that like and more personal most shows so the idea like you're going to lose the titles in a day like Hey, you fat piece of crap. Like what? Whoa. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's intermission time. Gary Michael Capetta here. He's or I wrote Gary Michael Capetta is here and backstage or back tent or back something. With anyway, he's with Lacey, Jimmy Jacobs, Colt Cabana. Gary wants to know what's going on. Are they a team or not a team? Lacey says that all that matters is they're getting wins for Lacey's Angels. Colt says he's about getting something. Uh, Jimmy Jacobs is bummed out. He gets ringed out by Lacey for what she calls a pathetic performance tonight. Jimmy apologizes very meekly. Colt jokingly calls Jimmy a jerk jimmy mopes and gapes says cut promo's over colt then immediately goes to gary and michael and goes gmc you are the man and then shakes hands with him like he's so enthusiastic and then he comments gary's tie and gary very like like self deprecatingly goes like oh i thought it was a little conservative like <laughs> it was it's a very cute moment on the show then Lacey wants to know what colt's plans are for tonight Colt thought they'd go on a little date, a little Steak and Shake, maybe walk on the beach, then go to his room at the Super 8. Isn't, it, isn't it a little
2: bit late to like go to Steak and Shake and walk on the by the bay? Because that's what he said. It was like, eh, I don't know, he's walking, but it's going to be like probably like, I don't know, 1 a.m. by the time you get to that bay. <laughs> be careful, kids. <laughs>
0: Lacey thinks that sounds like a good idea and walks away with, it, with him. Jimmy tries to follow them, but Lacey tells him, go to the gym or something. And Cole just goes, easy, weirdo. So we're continuing the story. Around. But yeah, I think one of the funny things in the storyline, too, is the idea that, like, Lacey's really into Cole Cabana. And, like, everything about the Lacey character is like she's, like, you know, she got – um remember when she first started like lacy's angels with special k and she got them to like dress up better and stuff like that like she's supposed to be like a manager that's like looks down on wrestling fans and maybe likes things a little bit better and she's like really impressed that Colt's like yeah we can go to steak and shake and then we can go to the super eight like <laughs>
2: well yeah i think this is like the part that like that makes cult the baby face to the fans it's like he kind of like exposes Lacey as like she kind of kind of get, kind of um makes her regress a little bit until like just kind of like being impressed by these unimpressive things, and she 's not really as professional as she purports to be when she 's smitten by I guess a guy that she likes like i, I mean they probably, i don 't know if they even thought it through that much, but that 's uh, the logic that i 'm seeing there
0: and that brings us to coming back from intermission delirious defeats Shane Hagedorn by submission in six minutes twenty two seconds when he makes Shane tap out to the cobra stretch uh, This is one of those typical easing people back from intermission matches. I thought, felt like Delirious gave Shane a slightly surprising amount of offense, but really this is just a showcase win for Delirious. A lot of basic ex- exchanges. Nothing goes wrong, but nothing special. It's perfectly average. The crowd continues to be really into Delirious at this stage of his career. He's like a real cloud, crowd pleasing act at this time. I think the highlight for me of this entire match was, um, Shane, at one point, he's in a hold, and he's selling in the hold, and J- Delirious is yelling gibberish at him. And while he's selling in pain, uh, simultaneously, you can hear um he scree- Shane Hagedorn screams out, I don't know what you're saying. Like, yeah. Like, it, sounded like like, de- like, it sounded
2: like Delirious said something like, what are you going to do about it or something like that? <laughs> yeah.
0: I just liked it. Like, he was legit still selling, but like, just like also befuddled. Like, just please don't ask me. I, I, I thought that was a cute moment. I don't know if you guys had it. It's always weird. Like, when you throw, the, like, what do you guys think about a six minute, largely a squash match? Do you guys have any thoughts about this one?
2: My thoughts are um, I think that Shane Hagedorn's heel music, like the Allison Chains song he comes out to, is very, very good heel music. Like, really sets a good tone for that um also mentioned that uh prazak was noting that hagedorn has been sucking up to adam pierce carrying his bags around which will um you know set the table for the angle the next night um but otherwise um i thought this was a fine basic you know i mean like whatever they you know like like hagedorn like backed him into the corner and grabbed, you know, a rope burn. Like, Hagridon was very good at the very, the very basic stuff that he was doing at this point. Um, and, you know, that's, that's a good thing for a, you know, fairly new wrestler to, uh, to do is like really master the basics. And he was doing a good job with that. Um, but yeah, I thought this was just a fine basic post-intermission match that isn't literally a squash, but also is not dramatic in any way. Uh they did about as good as you
1: would want them to do in this in this position. Uh, I'll just add mean, that uh, yeah, intermission was eight minutes because I don't think there was anything for anyone to really do. I don't I don't think they were like merch tables or anything like that. They were very much in let's get this over with uh, mode. Where felt, where
2: where were bathrooms? Like, did you have to go inside?
1: I I think you could go inside if um if you wanted to. I don't know if the I, I imagine they would let you in in, in that, but uh, yeah. So and and as for the match, I, I did appreciate the contrast between Delirious and the more plain heel antics of uh, of Hagadorn. and uh, I guess Delirious is the top of the class now. So good for him.
0: <laughs> I I did like the um. Shane Hagedorn does a fist drop from the very first turnbuckle and prays like tongue-in-cheek and he's like, oh, Shane Hagedorn's a great high flyer. So I like that little needling of the heel, but... Next, we get an ad for the FIP DVD entitled Strong vs. Evans, so getting the Joe versus Kobashi treatment. And I remember this being like one of the more hyped FIP DVDs just because yeah. Strong and Evans hadn't wrestled in ROH to this point. They would a few times after this. And it, this was like one of the like I, – I, I think this was – I would be interested in how well this sold because I remember this being like one of people being like, oh, I normally don't buy FIP. DVDs, but I would really want to see them I got,
2: I got this one, yeah, and it was it was a good it was a good match. It probably was overhyped just because you know that's how Gabe sold these DVDs, but it was definitely a good match and definitely one of the more buzzy FIP shows of the era. And this is another
0: strange FIP DVD ad where they show clips from the show, but not a single wrestling move. Like, I don't know what they're trying to hide at this point, but it feels like we've seen now, like, recently three different FIP DVD ads where, like, they're going out of their way to not show any wrestling action. Like, just ring entrances.
2: Yeah, it's basically just like, hey, everybody, you want to see... What a small crowd looks like. <laughs>
0: yeah. clearly the thing you want to focus on on FIP show is the crowd size and the ambiance. Those are going to be the yeah, well, that well, really it took place in on. an
1: actual yeah. It took place in an actual building, so they were probably spotlighting that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely an added perk. Um, next up was the semi-main event. Samoa Joe defeated Roderick Strong via pinfall in 19 minutes 14 seconds after he hit a Death Valley Driver off the second turnbuckle. Um, Dave wrote on the observer that Joe pinned strong in 1915 in a stiff match that was generally considered the best match on the show. Joe hit a scary looking death LA driver and boy, howdy did he off the top rope with the win Dave wrote. This was the match Joe got hurt in. Now I looked throughout the rest of the observer. Maybe I didn't look good enough. I couldn't find anything else that mentioned that Joe was hurt. He does wrestle the next night, but apparently Joe gets hurt in this match. I couldn't even notice watching it that he got hurt, but, uh, from one Joe to another, Joe. What do you think about your um your friend Joe? And Joe, do you think more fondly of wrestlers named Joe because they share your name? And what do you think about this match?
1: You're asking if I close my eyes when everyone's chanting Joe and imagine it's for me.
0: No, yeah, see that's <laughs> something I don't ever get.
1: <laughs> never. <clears throat> yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, unless I don't know. Ricochet never, is is. <laughs> wait, yeah. is it? no? No. You no. never, you never yeah, went, to, you never oh, went yeah.
2: to a Trevor Lee match, Trevor. <laughs>
0: No, I can't say I have and yeah. Trevor Lee would have been my shot, or like like Joe said, if they, if Ricochet ever goes by Trevor Man. But uh,
2: yeah, this was. Did, a, like, uh, did, wait, did I ever tell you that? Um, I think I did show you this that on that like Chat GPT or one of those um, chatbots said if you asked what who what through the years is, they said it was a show hosted by Matt Feuerstein and Trevor Man, and I thought it was very funny that it knew my name but not yours. <laughs>
0: Well, so many Trevor's in the wrestling business, you've got like a whopping three. Well, two, I'm not in the business. If you include the Twitter sphere, then you got at least four. So, uh, Joe, again, uh, we got sidetracked, but, <laughs> Sorry. You know, this, for some people, I w- I would, you know, this was a match I think a lot of people would say was the best match on the show, but I think there's probably at least one other contender, or if you're Matt, maybe, I don't know if even Matt would say his, 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 Nigel Daniels was better, but you know, I would say if I, I'll say this, if I like Nigel Daniels as much as Matt liked that match, that would have been my match of
1: the night. Um, What do you think about this match? Uh, Yeah, I, I thought this rocked. This is when I thought the tent setup actually helped because I know they they did a brief dive to the floor, but there was a real claustrophobic feel to this match, and like there was nowhere for Roddy to run because Joe is just like the biggest monster in wrestling at this point and. You know, it's a match where you just want them to beat the hell out of each other, and that's basically what they did. And the finish was especially brutal, as noted. Joe gave him a top rope. Death Valley Driver and Roddy, you know, I posted this on Twitter and said, you know, he probably did need a neck brace after this. And I remember Joe just didn't even bother hooking his leg because it was like, no, this is clearly the end. So, um, yeah, uh, commentary also mentioned Zeus during the match during, I think, a, a, like a neck ringer or something, which I would not have uh, predicted going into it. But um, no, no, I thought this was great. Matt, what do you think about this
2: one? Well, yeah, first of all, commentary, uh, talking about Zeus, that tells you this was like, like the first part of like the commentary shift. Cause when you get to those shows where you could tell that they're like at the end and they're exhausted, it's like they're not even thinking of fun stuff like that. They're just like, yeah, that was a move. Oh, he hit a dive to the crowd. Now he's <laughs> going for the, you know, it's just like they're yeah. still, they're still awake at this point. <laughs> um, but, um, no, yeah, I, I thought, um, before the show, this was like a pretty hyped show. Like this, like Glory by Honor Night 1. Like obviously Night 2 was the big one. But like there was a lot of anticipation for this one. And I feel like in the end, these were the only two guys on the night that treated the show like it wasn't a B show. You know, like, like this was Joe being like full Samoa Joe. He wasn't holding back. And that's been a long time since you've seen that from Joe in a singles match. Even the Danielson match, which was like a big deal match. He wasn't being like full like full 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 Joe. He was like being like 80%. This I think was 100% Joe. Uh you know the the super hard chops, the uh you know at one point strongest arguing with a heckler and telling him he fucked her mom, which you know I wonder if it's true, but if it wasn't that's a rude thing to say. And <laughs> even if it even if it was, you know, you don't you just don't say it in public. Um but you know obviously him and Aries they were just not having fun with this crowd tonight. Um
0: You earnestly saying, I wonder if that. You were so earnest when you said, I wonder if that
2: was true. Trevor? (laughs) That would be the most adorable thing you've ever done. Trevor, I just want to make clear. I was not earnest when I said that. I was kidding about it. I
0: know, but you came off that. (laughs) Go back. It was like, I wonder if that was true.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but but the hard kicks from Joe, you know, classic Samoa Joe. Um, Joe even does some interesting chin lock variations, like almost like a dragon sleeper. You know, when you're doing interesting chin lock variations, that's a, um, that's something that's gonna, you know, excite, um, old Matt when I was. <laughs> <laughs>
0: young Uh, matt did not bring this up on the joe versus the world episode but old matt is more refined
2: that's right um no but they're they're playing they're playing the hits in a lot of points but they're doing them with just like greater intensity and sniff stiffness and energy like when joe does the face wash and the running boot like he's really feeling it and he even does a second one because the crowd chants one more time and um you know, they, they end up trading forearms mid ring, and Joe's are definitely harder, but Strong stays up and starts chopping, so Joe slaps him. Um, there's a point where Joe charges, but Strong catches him and hits a backbreaker, which of course makes him sell his knee, but he gets a two-count off of that. Um, the This Is Awesome chant comes after Joel rolls out of a stronghold attempt, but Strong drop kicks him to the floor and hits the spinning dive. Um, they end up with uh, Strong kicks Joe, goes right into the STF, into the crossface. Um, Joe goes for a clothesline. Strong catches him in the half Nelson backbreaker. Then, um, Joe, Strong actually hits a superplex in spite of the tent, which I think makes it extra impressive. Um, can't quite hold the stronghold, so he gets Joe in the fireman's carry and hits the double uh, knee gut buster. Um, but then Joe sweeps the legs through and Strong takes a really great bump and Strong fights out of the muscle buster, hits a jumping boot to the middle rope. Uh, he goes for the Gibson driver, can't quite get it, turns it into almost like a but almost like a butterfly suplex. Like I think that was probably a shoot, right? Like he actually just couldn't get the Gibson driver but he wanted to. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that was selling? I was going to or- ask
0: you – I think that's has to be selling because – Remember, this is playing on, I mean, no, not saying, I think this is a shoot, like you said, like, because when you think about it, this match, the whole reason this match is happening is because Roddy got the upset pin on Joe in that, uh, Aries and strong versus, uh, Joe and Whitmer tag recently. And that match ended with him pinning Joe with the Gibson driver. And I think Joe didn't get up great for that even. And so you think. Well, you would definitely want to reference that and do that spot again, right? Like you would, you would, want, you would get a big near fall if he goes for it again, and he goes for it, and Joe drops to his knees, and then they just do a move that, yeah, like you said, like um, that that butterfly suplex that I don't think Strong does very often. To me, that felt like. They've tried to do it to, you know, do the reference and maybe Joe just decided, you know what, I'm probably not going to get up good on this. It might just be easier if I just jump to the side on a suplex. I, that, that's my theory too. I, I, if you're thinking that way, that's what I would think too.
2: Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you about that. Um, and then of course they go to the finish and that finish was something. That, that That Death Valley driver off the middle rope, like that was insane. It's very rare that you get a holy shit chant after a match is over and this one got it. And I thought this match delivered on the expectations. I actually liked the early part of the match the best. Like I thought, like just that intensity of the basic stuff and the crowd was going nuts for it, like way hotter than anything else on the show. Um And maybe it slowed down a little bit as it went, but that's just because they were working so hard at the beginning. So I thought this was a really great match. Um And I uh, was not disappointed at all.
0: So I'll, I'll say this. Um Normally on through the years, I've been shocked at a, how well everything is held up and almost everything that I remember being great, I still think is great. Um, this was a show that made me feel old in a way because I feel like everything on this show, I think I liked better when I saw it, you know, 17 years ago. I, everything was like a notch down. Like I would say this was probably my match of the night, but I would say it was like three and a half stars. Um, there was like a lot of hard hitting and good action, but I also felt like there was something that was strangely empty to this match. I do think Joe was trying hard, but I also, like you said, but I also thought he looked kind of tired. Like there's the moment in the middle of the match where he has Ronnie in a hold. And then very shortly after he puts him in the neck vice, which you never see Joe do two holds back to back or pull up the neck vice. And I was kind of thinking like, is he just tired right now? And I guess I was thinking Roddy is known for being like one of the big cardio machines in wrestling who can just go and go and go. And I thought, well, maybe he's kind of blown Joe up a bit i i don't even know if joe was just resting or what and then again that spot later where joe it looked like Roddy was trying to get him up for the gibson driver and then may i mean maybe we're just thinking too much reading too much into it but it did kind of feel like joe was like you know what i can't do this right now um but you know it is lots of hard hitting i do think they gave juan the best the, like you said Matt, like the best effort of the night and i think the fun of this match for me was J- Roddy doing so much of his usual offense despite Joe's size. Like, you usually don't see Joe getting thrown around a lot. And, you know, Roddy does the leg capture backbreaker. He does the half-Nelson backbreaker. He does a felt version of the Falcon Arrow here. He You know, he tries to do the Gibson driver and then does the butterfly suplex. Like, Joe is leaving his feet quite a bit in this match, and I think that's part of the fun is, like, Roddy doesn't limit his offense here. He's doing the kind of a Roddy suplexes and backbreakers to big ol' Samoa Joe. Um and the end, I agree with Joe, like, great. Here's how great that Death Valley Driver is. You know, this match is largely inconsequential. There's no real story. It's, it's set up from one match. You know, you know, people don't remember. There's no, it, there's no feud going out of this or anything like that. You know, this show is mostly remembered for Kenta in a Tenta, the tent and all that. I remember that Death Valley Driver. I hadn't seen this match in over a decade and I still vividly remember that Death Valley Driver. It is just, Great looking, brutal. And like Matt said, I, th- I think that's a great point too, Matt. That, like, how often do you see a, a match end with a move that's so wild that the crowd gives the holy shit chant after the three count and the match is over? Like, I can't remember the last time I saw a match where that happened, you know, where a match just ends on that kind of crazy exclamation point. And also, it's kind of a throwback to, like, what we saw from Joe in, in 2003, 2004 where Joe wasn't just winning matches with the muscle buster or choke he won he went through a period where he probably won like in a one-year span used like seven different moves to finish matches and this was like another one where like when have you ever seen joe break out like a second rope death alley driver and it was just really cool like i love that he decided you know what i'm gonna do this and just a really uh cool thing so um yeah, you got. I, I, I bet you. This is one of those matches I got from watching where I was like, I really, I enjoyed this a fair bit, but I could tell. I'm. I think everyone who watched this other than me is probably gonna like this like a notch more than me. Uh, and that brings us to the main event. Uh, Kenta and Marafuji, uh, take on. Or Kenta and Naomiichi I'm not going to deprive the man of both his names. Defeat the Briscoes, Jay and Mark, in 20 minutes, 25 seconds when Kenta pinned Mark Briscoe after a go to sleep. Uh, Meltzer wrote in the Observer, match was said to be excellent. Both the last two matches were described as four stars or better, with the latter match being equivalent to the last 20 minutes of your normal 30 minute Kenta and Marafuji match. Um. Joe, what would you say? I don't know if I would completely agree with that, but Joe, what would you what do you think? Like, was this probably your first time you ever got to see Kenta and Marafuji? I mean, live.
1: This is uh, cool. live. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. But I had certainly followed them. They were it was a real thrill to see them live. They were such a great team. They're so cool in, in the sense that you know you get the the sense they don't have a lot in common probably, and maybe they don't even like each other, but they they work together because they do such good work. Like Matt and Trevor on through the years. <laughs> so oh, uh, yeah our
0: bitter feud (laughs) whenever the mics are off man it's just fumes
1: for a long time this this just kind of went back and forth action no real extended heat or you know not really a hot tag it was very good action but it felt a bit formless and the crowd just surprisingly not super into it either though you know it had been the given the the atmosphere and the circumstances i can't really kill them for that i thought the last five minutes or so they went all out with action the crowd came alive it, it was awesome it was at that level that uh that Dave Meltzer talked about but just for the last five minutes this is when I think the the setup hurt it you know the, n- no dives or, or kind of anything like that I wonder if they kind of had to structure it differently but it it was good but it was not like I, I remember this being a lot better live and it was just like you know it, it was good but it you would think with these these four you would have like an incredible match and and this was not that
0: I I think your thoughts pretty much exactly echo mine. Like I would put this maybe a slightly below the Joe Roddy match, but you know, that's kind of disappointing when you consider that this is, this is a dream match, you know, even in this young stage of these guys' careers, you know, Marafuji and Kenta were considered like one of the great tag teams in the world. You know, the Briscoes, one of the great tag teams of, I think the last 20 years. And, uh, it's good, but not great. Um, and like you said joe there's not there, there, I would say like there's a lot of ways to structure a match like some matches start super slow, maybe at like at a two out of ten, and then they slowly ramp up through the entire match until they peak at at a ten right near the end and then other matches they might start out hot like at an 8 or 9 to get the crowd into at the jump and then they kind of ramp down to maybe like a 4 or 5 and then they slowly build back up to a 9 or 10 and there are lots of variations of that you know lots of peaks and valleys that can happen in in matches in different orders this is a match i think that for like the first 15 minutes from minute 1 to minute 15 it's just a 7 and it's never not a 7 like in terms of pace and action and intensity it's just consistently a 7 which is a good number but there's something about that that gets kind of numbing and like you said there's no hot tag. There's no like momentum in this match. It is just back. I don't think anyone in this match gets momentum for more than a minute at most, and often much less than that. There's frequent tags. It's your move, my move, but at, you know, it's not at, at, at an absolute breakneck pace. It's at a seven. And, you know, it's, it, it's good work, but it, yeah, just something numbing about that. And it's another one of those matches where I feel like the theme for me watching the show was like, all these there are a bunch of matches where I felt like I probably liked this like one star more 17 years ago. This one of the first ring of honor shows I've watched where I did feel like time maybe maybe because some of these maybe has taken a little bit off the top of it. I don't know why it's this show. Maybe I just have a thing for tense that hurts them. I don't know, but um then yeah, like in those final 5 minutes they do the typical tag thing where they ignore tags they flip the switch it does get more exciting. So i still don't quite think it's the absolute like oh my god barn burner but it gets pretty darn good by the end there and of course this match is most notable for on commentary Dave pretty at one point just out of nowhere says kenta in a tenta which tickles uh jared david to no no effect to uh, no end and uh the matt you talk about the guys getting punchy during the long recordings of commentary you know that's that's more iwa mid-south praise you know Prazak usually does not like un- loosen his tie and let his guard down in roh and turn him just to go out there and go kenta in a tenta maybe get a little punchy but that's like the funny part of this and also um Shout out to the fan who in the home search of the match, as it's at its most exciting point, you can hear one fan yell out, who's the legal man? Which is like – one fan who's like, this is what I'm concerned with. Who's the legal – like Jim Quinnett probably wants to meet that fan after the show and give him a hearty handshake. But uh, Matt, what do you think about the match? Yeah,
2: I, I'm on the same page as the two of you. Um, I think even at the time, I found this disappointing when I got the DVD because, yeah, this is a total dream match and – you know the the dave wrote like it's like the last 20 minutes of a kenta versus marufuji uh, match in japan and like i remember some of those great kenta and marufuji 2003 2004 matches those built and built and had these insane finishing sequences that lasted a really long time and like this didn't have anything close to that um and you know i do wonder if like this was a situation where they were like all right this you know this just situation sucks. We have this tent with water on it, and we just got to get the hell out of here. And they rushed through a match, and like if it was inside, they would have done more. I don't know, but um you know, I, I know that Kenta and Marafuji could have done more than this, and I know the Briscoes. I mean, the, in terms, even just in terms of the finishing sequence, the the ones that they had against uh, Aries and Strong and um, Richards and Seidel in England were more epic than the ones they had against Kenna and Marafuji. So while this was a really good match in some ways, you're right. It was totally formless, which is, I think, you know, a uh, pet peeve I've had about some of the Briscoes ROH matches um, in this era in general. Um, you know, they definitely get better at that. But um, just like the the constant back and forth, it, it almost made me think, like, did Kent and Marafuji just let the Briscoes lay out this match? And because you wouldn't think that because, you know, they're the bigger, you know, Ken and Marifuji are the bigger stars, but it almost felt like they didn't really put their stamp on this at all. It was just sort of like a like, okay, we're gonna have a, a hard hitting, exciting match, but we're not going to put our most creative um attributes to work to make this something special it didn't feel like they were really going for something special here that's why i thought that like when i mentioned joe and strong were the only ones that um kind of treated this show like it wasn't a b show because i don't think this was an a show performance by either team this was like a b plus show performance by them and so they had a very good but not particularly great match and uh yeah, I I, um, I don't know. Do you think that those things would have been different if the uh the building was where they were wrestling instead of in this tent where they kind of felt the need to hurry in and out?
0: Yeah, I don't know how much of that is the building versus maybe even just that it's the B show even though this was supposed to be like a major B show. Yeah, it
2: didn't like it wasn't the way, like at least in the hype and the anticipation, it wasn't thought of as a B show. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it feels like a b-show when you watch it for a lot of reasons but in advance i wasn't expecting it to be a b-show
0: but you could say like you know kent and Marafuji both have big singles matches the very next night so in the back of their mind they might be thinking you know we don't need to go to the absolute final gear on this because we got that that's what we got to do tomorrow night um I I will say, I don't think these guys, like, completely mailed it in or anything. I I think they gave a very good, honest, physical effort. But going to kind of what you were saying, it's like their mental effort. Yeah, like, they weren't going, just going the extra mile to make this match really memorable. It was just like, we're going to just do some good, honest, hard work for 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe not...
2: All the physicality was, was, you know, on point, and, like, they definitely worked hard in that sense. I I totally agree. Don't want to take anything away from that.
0: yeah. But maybe, yeah, they just didn't put maybe that extra imagination. And, and I do kind of get what you're saying, where maybe I almost have this kind of vibe of just like, maybe almost on autopilot, where like, we're going to let the Briscoes lead this and we're just going to trade stuff. And, you know, after 20 minutes, that's a good amount of, you know, that'll be enough for the crowd to be happy and then we'll go home, you know. But, um, this was and, also and interesting. This, how- is, this
2: is the first Kenta ROH match where I can say it didn't feel like he was putting his real best foot forward.
0: Yeah, and, and uh, this was also an interesting match from the standpoint of this was Mara right after he had won the GHC heavyweight title, which was Noah's, you know, heavyweight title. And, you know, Noah had, was not in the, in the habit of giving their top title usually to, uh, junior heavyweights. And I did feel like, you know, he did look like he had a little bit more swagger in this match. Like he usually plays second fiddle to Kenta in Ring of Honor, but I did feel like he was a little bit more feeling himself in this match. You know, not that he's ever been bad in the limited bits of Ring of Honor, but I felt like, you know, I noticed him a bit more here and Muhammad Yone with his great Afro was at ringside from Noah as was Sugiera. And they mentioned, Moshima. and they actually
2: mentioned Shibata because they mentioned that, that that's who Kenta had been teaming with more uh, in Japan lately.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, we were getting more of the Noah guys there, and that would set up, you know, again, an angle for tomorrow night. Kenta and Attenta. Um Jay Briscoe goes to shake Kenta's hand before the match, and Kenta just flips him off because Kenta's a naughty boy. And then later, Jay takes, like, this really huge, brutal-looking tiger suplex from Kenta. So Kenta really just not being a nice man to Jay Briscoe on this night. But um after the match, the crowd chants, Oregato. Yone, Sugiera, and Morishima all join Kenta and Marafuji in the ring as the crowd gives them one more Noah chant, and that ends the show. So we get a rare for ROH, you know, doesn't happen very frequently, you know, no post-match promos, no angle even, and it kind of goes to what Joe was talking about earlier, where this, between the two and a half hour runtime, the fact that there was basically almost no intermission live, this very much was a show where it probably it was, le- it, w- it went shorter probably than they intended if it had not been held under a rainy taint. T- a rainy taint I was about, a rainy tent my god Ew. um <laughs> so yeah it, it did feel like like just let's you know we, we this this whole show felt like let's give the people a, a good enough effort we don't want to shortchange them but also let's get this over with and they got it over with so uh that was glory by honor five night one Joe, what do you think about the show? Especially, again, you know, revisiting after all these years. You saw it live. You did a whole podcast about it. Now, seventeen years later, you're doing it. Will you be doing a podcast about it again, seventeen years from now with a different group of people?
1: God, I hope or with not. me? Or with that me just again? Seems sad. Yeah. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, third time the uh, <laughs> the charm. The re rewatch of yeah. uh, through the years. Um, in terms of the show, I think it's certainly a famous show in Ring of Honor history. You mentioned the Ten Show. People know what you're talking about. What makes it famous kind of hurts the show overall, like live. This wasn't even three hours live. This was very much kind of a get in and get out kind of scenario. I think, you know, there's good wrestling here. I think there's nothing bad per se. Stuff doesn't, you know, several of the matches don't get to the heights you hope they would. But there's, you know, it was a breeze to watch. I thought it's, and the show's always going to be overshadowed by the next night because that's one of the, you know, very memorable Ring of Honor shows of the era. So, I mean, you yeah, know, if you toss on Honor Club, you'll have a decent enough time. It's, you know, it's in a tent. It's really weird. And, um yeah, there's some good stuff. Certainly Rod, Roddy Joe, I thought, was the standout match of the night. But like I said, nothing all that bad. You can breeze through it. So it was certainly a memorable night in, in my Ring of Honor live viewing.
0: Yeah, I, I would say I enjoyed this show. But going back to what I said earlier, I think this is one of the only shows I've ever seen on through the years where I do feel like I – maybe time has changed my view a bit where I feel like some of these things have maybe aged a little bit and I didn't. And I, and I also feel like maybe some people will enjoy some of this stuff more than I did, but I, I think it's worth a watch. This is one of those rare shows we get. Can, we can't, we've never been able to say this very often. We haven't been able to say this very often uh, for any shows we've covered on through the years, which is, this is like a curiosity. Like it's worth a watch, like going to what you said, Joe, because it's just so weird to see this many huge stars of the future, wrestling in a goddamn tent that's barely almost touching their heads like i feel like the show is a it's a fairly good show it's not a great show like but it's it's like a breezy watch which again another weird thing for ring of honor there's rarely been a ring of honor show this short Yeah. You it's know, so it, it, if there's any ring of honor dv that can be called like a breezy watch in that sense it might be this one and i would say it's almost worth a watch regardless of quality just because when are you going to see things like the briscoe's Versus Kenta and Fuji in a tent. Where are you going to see multiple wrestlers like having to adjust on the fly to do high flying in an tent you know, so that their heads don't touch? Where are you going to see guys doing dives into grass? Like it's just, it's it's a weird curiosity that Ring of Honor has rarely had. Um, Matt, what do you think?
2: Um, well, I, you know, definitely this was disappointing. I think in the sense that like this was built up as a bigger show than it ended up being, but. The fact that it is a curiosity, that it has that, quote, carnival-like atmosphere that the announcers <laughs> mentioned, that it still does have a, in my opinion, a pretty high-level match with Joe and Strong, you know, that kind of gives it its ROH pedigree um, that, you know, you would need a great match to to kind of hold up. To the fact that it is a breezy, quick watch, um, I still think, you know, for a disappointing B-Show, it's still good. And uh, yeah. it's still fun and interesting and weird and, and all that stuff. Um, now, that said, I do believe that I have an award to give out. Um,
0: Matt, it is time for the Matt F. Trophy.
2: That's right. And, like, so, so for me, the two the, – the, the main standout, like, exciting things on the show were the fact that there were these two, in my opinion, really memorable finishes um, to a couple of matches that I liked. And I was kind of going back and forth between which finish would get the Mad F Trophy. The Samoa Joe and Roderick Strong finish was brutal and memorable and got a holy shit chant. But I'm actually going to give the Mad F Trophy to the finish of the Nigel McGuinness versus Christopher Daniels match. Because I thought it had that extra level of creativity. Something that I don't remember ever seeing before or since. That suplex of Daniels, like stomach first onto the top rope leading into the Tower of London... I thought that was just such a cool and different and uh, unexpected finish that I think it deserves a trophy. So that I, is the winner of the MADF trophy.
0: I believe that's the first of the three MADF trophies. A choice I would say is somewhat out of the box. It's an interesting choice. And for, again, for those who want to see that spot without having to watch the show, it's on Joe Gagne's Twitter feed. And Joe... Now that brings us to you. It's time to plug things. So why don't you plug that Twitter feed and anything else you want to plug?
1: Yes, you can follow my Twitter X, uh, whatever, just at Joe Gagne, G-A-G-N-E. And for other audio uh, uh, adventures, you can listen to my wrestling trivia podcast, Five Star Match Game, hosted on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Matt and Trevor have been on a bunch of times, along with our good friend Justin Shapiro. So always check those shows out, and, uh, and and that'll be it. And thanks again for having me on. We we finally got to this one. It felt like it's been building for a long, long time.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, this was great. And the 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 last thing that I apologize if anyone here is a motorcycle in the background. It's not me riding it, <laughs> I swear. Um, but um, the last thing I do want to say before Trevor wraps it up is I just want to give one more thanks to uh, – the pro wrestling only podcast network for helping us get uh, get on the map and everybody who is involved in that in that podcast network um, and for everyone who's listened to us on it
0: yeah th- th- thank you guys again so much it was such an honor to be part of it um if you guys want to get in contact with us that's through the years at gmail.com T-H-R-O-H for through at Trevor game on Twitter at mayor MGF on Twitter. We're also on YouTube if you want to listen there, but uh, from here on out after this episode, it'll be either our own feed on all the podcast apps or YouTube. And, uh, next time on the show, we will be covering, and this is one of the big ones, Glory by Honor 5, Night 2, Kenta, not in a Tenta, Kenta in a building, uh, um, taking on Brian Danielson in one of the big matches of the year, plus just a loaded card, a great atmosphere. It's a show that a 17 y- years younger Matt Forresting said on somebody else's podcast by the name of Joe Gagne that it was the greatest Ring of Honor show he had ever seen. Um, we'll see if it holds up in 17 years. It, it's going to be one of the big episodes. So
2: until next time, have a good time. Have a great time.